0: welcome to the back page a video games podcast i'm samuel robertson i'm joined as ever by matthew castle hello matthew it's episode 50 of this podcast how are you feeling Holy about shit so uh, that's a lot isn't it i was when you said it yesterday 50 episodes i was like oh yeah that is fucking loads isn't it but um are you, yep. how are you feeling about the fact that we've been doing this for basically the entire year now
1: Yeah, good. I think it's, like, genuinely outside of a job the longest I've sort of committed to something.
0: Yeah, I feel like I sort of was initially dragging you along from the ride, maybe even, like... (laughs) <laughs> borderline bullying you into doing it because you already had lots of podcast things going on obviously it's proven popular and uh it's changed like a, a fair amount as we've gone and we've gotten better at it i think so um Ooh. yeah yeah it's uh it's kind of exciting i was curious um do you have any like favorite episodes from the ones we've done i mean it would be a
1: bit egomaniacal of me if i was like the phoenix right and the zelda episodes <laughs> <laughs> um yeah. but i did like those i thought they came out really well you know and i was quite picky about them in terms of you know their things i care about a lot and i wanted the episodes to be good and they seem to be you know reasonably well received so that was nice i don't want to pick play favorites with the guests i've really valued every guest we've had it's been great that people have given us their time but listening to some of like dan dawkins stories was just awesome you know uh, we hear a lot about that episode as well i think that one kind of
0: resonated with people yeah there's a certain generation of like games industry person who tweeted about that episode and that seemed to go down particularly well the um, episode with Simon too was uh, was also just you know asking him about the interviewees. The Kojima stuff was some of the best stuff we've kind of I don't know if, I don't know if cu- uncovered is the right word, but you know talked about on this um, this podcast. That's good. yeah. Uh, no love for best Sonic games, Matthew? <laughs> so that was quite, I, like honestly,
1: the, 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 there's very few. I couldn't in fact name one off the top of my head where I was like. I thought that was shit.
0: <laughs> yeah, I don't think they're any bad. Ones. Uh, some of the ma- some of the mailbags. <laughs> um, it's funny cuz my uh, my mate Dave listened back to um, I think both mailbags and he went, "This is probably about twice as long as it should be." And I was like, "Look, <laughs> that's fair criticism, but I'm still going to get very defensive about it." Um... <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, it's it, it's during the mailbags where people's
1: like riffing on our bullshit overtook even our own bullshit and i got scared <laughs>
0: yeah that's kind of how i thought it's like one thing to make jokes about jc's kitchen but when those things are like repeated back to you it's weirdly cursed in a way i can't quite describe um yeah <laughs> i think it's just because uh, because they're so detached from what the actual jc's kitchen is which is just um a man and his wife in a tent serving meat <laughs> it becomes yeah. it becomes very odd that we've kind of enshrined it as podcast law you know Well, that's that's the
1: thing. I feel like we've pulled, actually, like a very reasonable meat seller into the back page verse. And he's completely unaware of it. And I feel a bit like I feel like I haven't been to JC's kitchen for quite a while. But if I was to go there now, I feel like there would be a slightly awkward charge because (laughs) I've sort of been talking about him behind his back. (laughs) But in quite a weird way.
0: <laughs> yeah, I suppose so. I've been like, um, I've been frequenting the place because I've just um finished uh, my my job at Future, so I'm like uh, no, oh, yes. lo- I'm no longer going to be near JC's Kitchen, the uh, alleged site of JC's Kitchen when on the days <laughs> where it's um it's open, so. I've been trying to squeeze it in as much as possible. It's definitely underlined the patchy extent to which he's actually there. It is funny that I still have to, like, physically walk there and see if he's there. And if he's not, then just, like, go off and find another lunch. But, you know, that's... Do you have
1: a, a... Is there a particular, like, point on the journey where your eye line would meet the tent and you'd know if it's there or not like how far away are you when the
0: disappointment hits? so you know there's that uh what's that cathedral <laughs> that big cathedral <laughs> the above? abbey yeah, yeah that's it yeah i walk past uh, that yes <laughs> <laughs> i've only been in there once uh yeah i walk past um I, there's like one of the side streets by the abbey and from there i can glimpse the magical orange and black of his signage on the tent and be like <laughs> fuck it's happening it's good it's good meat day but, um, <laughs> you know, the, it, it's exciting. And it's equally disappointing when it's sunny and then you get there and it's just just the stone of Bog Island, the stone steps, and um, oh. and he's gone. But, you know, what could you do? But, um, yeah, <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm sorry that um, I've done that to you. I just keep thinking, you know there's that place um, by Future LJ Hugs, the, like, meat place, and it's like... I keep thinking that that's, like, a spin-off of JC's Kitchen. Uh, it's not, because well, it's got, like, initials in the title when in it says meat. And
1: it's got a very similar vibe, like, the tent looks similar it smells kind of similar
0: <laughs> it's really good but um i would say jace's kitchen is slightly better but their location is so so good like right outside of greggs and mcdonald's which is like the fucking oh, man. student nexus in bath and like um <laughs> i think that that i think that i just wish that jc's kitchen had the same business you know i think he deserves it but um
1: yeah i mean jc's kitchen still is one of the most highly rated restaurants in Bath on TripAdvisor. I think it's like number two.
0: Yeah. that's just like yeah, I just you just should be able to get it seven days a week, that's how I feel. Um except maybe yeah. on Sunday, which is the day of rest for uh for JC. The problem
1: with old LJ hugs, which I've never been to, um, is that the bit of the high street there on is particularly full of cursed seagulls and pigeons. Right yeah. Like it's like the most aggressive seagull run in Bath <laughs> and the idea of standing around with food like those are seagulls that will go for you if they know you have food and there's that huge queue and you've got to stand in that queue while you know seagulls you know basically plan to kill
0: you it's <laughs> it's just too much. Yeah, I agree with you. Do you know what I was eating a sausage roll outside of that Greg's, right? Uh, like at 11 p.m. sorry, 11 p.m. 11 a.m. <laughs> 11am uh, kind of existential crisis just staring into the distance and then like um, this pigeon just like flapped its wings like right in front of my face and it was like is this a fucking Pokemon battle? What the hell's happening? And I was like the pigeons in Bath have now evolved to be like we're going to take your fucking pastries from you. I always thought that pigeons were fairly innocuous and they just ate the crumbs around you but they've evolved Matthew. They they know that you have baked goods and they're like I'm going to fuck you up. Yeah. You know? They've seen the seagulls and what they can achieve and they're like I'll have a bit of that. Yeah it's aspirational isn't it uh yeah. yeah so i'm curious to ask about another uh bath kind of food place matthew you've been to what is the fancy place menu gordon jones right so yeah you were tweeting about eating a game pie and making yourself sound like um you know you were going hunting tomorrow with your uh <laughs> your tory <laughs> friends but um <laughs> what was the uh what was the the deal with that because that place is amazing
1: yeah so that's like bath's sort of celebrity chef he's up on the hill in quite a strange restaurant that looks like an estate agent's. Um, if you look it up on Google Maps, you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. It, it doesn't look like much from the outside, but inside his his whole deal is he does like a surprise menu. It's like a taster menu, so you eat like eight courses over the course of a couple of hours, and he does you know basically whisks up something new every week. I think he changes the menu like two three times a week. It's pretty crazy. Yeah, and one of our courses was a game pie, which I should say. It's like a very minimalist game pie. Venison, kidney, and like a little bit of pastry and some sort of like oniony mash stuff. It was it was pretty tasty. I'm not a big venison guy, though, mm. um, because like I say, it's a little bit medieval, I think. It's a little bit um, Robert Baratheon in Game <laughs> of Thrones.
0: <laughs> Do you go for the... Because um, he does like a wine flight alongside it where it gives you a different Because oh, no. No. the
1: idea of a wine with eight courses you'd be dead at the end of it wouldn't you like
0: yeah at lunchtime <laughs> <laughs> I, I think i just feel weirdly self-conscious about like just having like a diet coke with all of this like fancy ass food um, oh well
1: i i don't mind because they've got some they've got some very like artisan fruit juices so i feel kind of okay drinking those but like imagine getting back to the office and you've just had eight glasses of wine <laughs> well, so you went to the you went to menu gordon jones for lunch then went back to work well, no, I'm
0: just saying if you did do that. <laughs> like, there were people in there who had, like, the air of business about them. Wow. You had to book that place ages in advance as well. So that's wild that the people are just, like, having business lunches there. That's crazy. Yeah,
1: I ate some eel as well.
0: Oh, wow, Okay. Yeah, just all of the animals. That's um all the animals. That's uh yeah, that's some pretty uh, pretty good stuff. I feel like everyone who has ever praised us in the Apple podcast reviews for like um being a no-nonsense podcast is going to be like <laughs> totally appalled by this opening 10 minutes, but like um
1: but this is the new direction for the podcast.
0: <laughs> yep, it's um we're going to talk about game pie every episode now. Um <laughs> We'll, game pie would actually be a great name for a gaming podcast yeah it wouldn't be bad would it but um it's too late now we've committed to this very print media centric one so um we have to just keep going with it i think but can't uh, we rebrand for year two <laughs> we could do should we just do that should we say we're the game pie podcast now <laughs> it'll turn out there's like a youtube channel called game pie that was like oh, probably yeah that would probably be a thing won't it but um Yep, okay, so we'll give that some thought. We might rebrand for year two, apparently. That's a thing that we've discussed, but it's nice to just catch up isn't it because we've had um as some of our listeners have noted we have had a few like guest heavy episodes recently and they've like gone down very well and obviously as Matthew says we're very grateful to have them on but um I think we were like keen for this 50th one to just have a bit of fun back and forth Mm. and so in this episode we're gonna have a like a little bit of a chat section here we're going to talk a bit about some news which um if you want to avoid that stuff if you're listening to this six months down the line you can just skip forward probably about 30 minutes and then we'll get to um what the theme of this episode is which is how To make a games magazine. So, in this podcast to date, we've covered loads of different aspects of games media. In this one, I thought we could document the entire cycle of making a magazine according to me and Matthew's spotty memories, and then to like cycle through 15 things that can go wrong while you're doing it. So, uh, Matthew, how did you feel about that subject coming to it?
1: Like you say, it's been a while since I've had to do it, so I was just trying to like cast back to some reasonably cursed memories, particularly for the stuff that can go wrong, because obviously try and block that out of your head. It's such a deadline-driven job, and so much part of it is is about juggling deadlines that, you know, thinking about it in those terms and thinking about what I do now, I was actually, it made my kind of day-to-day work now seem, you know, pretty good. Well, actually, there was a lot of stress I had to juggle as an editor, a lot of crazy things to take into consideration that I don't have to, like, ever think about again but yeah I um, you know I'm, I'm keen to hear your thoughts because I think you've got a slightly better memory for these things
0: yeah I, I don't know why that is maybe it's because I just did PC gamer for so long like I was editing the mag the print mag for three and a half years which is a long time to do one mag mm. so I've got some um, some good memories of that I also where uh, I, I don't know I, I think it's because we've revisited this period so many times in this podcast that it's brought a load of different memories flooding back and so um mm. yeah th- plus like you say the pain <laughs> the pain of deadline never truly leaves you and it definitely Definitely, like um, the body remembers, as uh, Charlie Theron yeah. said about uh, the making of Mad Max Fury Road. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, each, each. The other thing yeah. with these episodes
1: is whenever we compare experiences. It's always super obvious that you are like way more professional and on top of your shit than I was. So I always come off looking quite chaotic.
0: <laughs> I I don't think that's true. I think it's just because I've been a bit more cautious about saving face. Maybe it's just because. <laughs> oh, I see. I think it, it might be partly because, like, you know, obviously, you know, I've been working at Future for the last few years. So I'm not like, um I'm not big on sort of upsetting people, burning bridges or like, you know, <laughs> giving out company secrets and stuff. So I'm kind of like, like, what is the sort of sugar-pilled version of this? And probably myself as well, just because I've got a bit too much personal pride. So there's probably a bit of that in it. Um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, I wanted to really ask you, Matthew, about this anxiety dream you had that you told me about this week where didn't you dream that we had a huge bust-up because I didn't think you had very good anecdotes? What was all that about? It
1: ties into an episode that we're going to be doing soon. Yeah, I just dreamt that we were recording it, and uh, we had a guest on, and you guys were, like, really in the flow of it. And you know, had all this great stuff. And every time it came to me, I just couldn't remember anything. I was really like, uh, blah, 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 <laughs> You just, like, lost your shit with me. <laughs> <laughs> Which is totally baffling, because it's not something that has ever happened on this podcast, I should add. Um, I have no idea where it came from, but it was just really, like, super vivid. And I woke up,
0: and, like, my first thought was, like, I have to make peace with Sam. <laughs> My, um, when you told me that, I thought, "Am I really harsh on Matthew? Is am I like, no, am I bullying no at all? him?" I like I say, just my like dream
1: version of you was quite different.
0: <laughs> well, that's um, that's quite the thing, but yeah, that's uh, that's not something I never like,
1: do. You, you know where you have in Persona where they go into the mind palaces yeah. and there's like the shadowy version of the real person. And the real person often seems quite civil, and then they're just a the total prick in the dream world. Yeah, it's kind of like that.
0: You pretty much got me bang on there like as a, a human being so um yeah spot on it's all behind the eyes but yeah no i mean like uh, it made me think am i too stern with matthew like um i try not to be like too much of a dick like every now and then i'm like um hey uh when are you gonna send the mp3 recording over it's never got to the point it's never got to the point where i'm like where's the fucking podcast matthew <laughs> <laughs> um but like you know it's
1: Wait, well, this is this this ties into the magazine thing
0: you're a lot more organized than i am and when an
1: organized person has to deal with quite an, a disorganized person it it's i imagine it's quite stressful
0: <laughs> no no it's it, honestly i've just enjoyed in the pandemic having a, a like one one thing to pour all of my hopes dreams and interests into which has been this yeah, podcast right. that's kind of how i feel about this podcast this podcast is like the purest version of what i think is important in games i suppose and what you think is important Ooh. in games so um that's why i think people like it so much because it's so pure it doesn't try and be a show that's totally like bogus like um and if we took we cover a subject that we don't know you know as people have um heard with uh jeremy for example on the immersive sims episode we just get in people who do know what they're talking about so <laughs> right so i like the idea that we're sort of like Curating what we think is good shit, I think that's just a good ethos for a podcast, and then um, mm. and then having like you know good kind of print media guests on to talk about their stuff.
1: I and mean, that was that's definitely the vibe for year one. Obviously, year two is going to be um a lot more sort of sprawling chaotic um <laughs> as is the game pie way
0: <laughs> yeah i'm really really keen to do another um games court listener edition so oh yeah that I, was fun it was really really fun and also like massively like a really popular episode for us like um so that's good yeah people like drowning people like games court they like michael caine impressions um <laughs> can't guarantee they'd be in the next one, who knows what um Judge Castle will come up with for uh, for that. But I do encourage people, if you've been buying some second hand nonsense games, by all means email in and we'll um put you on trial in a future episode. That'd be fun. But um yeah, so Matthew, I want to ask a bit about just talk a bit about some game stuff really, because we haven't done that for mm. a little while. So first of all, I want to ask you about the Grand Theft Auto Trilogy Remastered Edition. Uh they've obviously they've revealed a trailer for this. And the release date is out on November 11th. So, you know, it's very, it's imminent basically when we're recording this. So I was curious what you made of the art style. On social media, I said I like the art style. And then afterwards I was like, oh, maybe I'm not sure about the art style and I need it in my hands first. But I was curious what you made of the, the changes they've done to, um, to update the games for the modern age. I think they had to do something to drag it in, into the modern age. I think it certainly looks like
1: it's going to be quite coherent in terms of it all looks of a piece and maybe brings the three games together and groups them in, you know, by giving them a very distinctive kind of shared look. It's a little bit Pixar-ish for me. In the little snippets, there was something quite overblown about it. Yeah. Um... Also, just not very rock star. In that it, it's quite impressionistic, and what we're used to them is realism. And I don't think they were necessarily going for like super cartoony when they made them originally.
0: It's tough to tell. It feels like so much of the original PS2 art style was like shaped by the limitations of you know yeah. being an being an open world game at that time when you you know they were the trailblazers as we discussed in our gta3 episode and it's true that like in the modern age they almost had to pick a direction to go in with it like there there is a cartoony style to those ps2 games but it's slightly below the surface like it's a bit more it's a bit more up to your interpretation of like are they going for cartoony and stylized or are they going for realistic it kind of sits somewhere between the two and like you say they've leaned into cartoony for the character models but then more realistic for the environments it seems like And so that's quite an interesting combination, isn't it?
1: I mean, really, the stuff that jumped out for me is modernisation of controls. I think there was some talk of better checkpointing or more regular checkpointing to maybe take the sting out of some of those missions. The idea of just those games, but more playable and without their frustrations like that for me is a powerful enough draw i've never finished san andreas for example yeah you know with those games i'd get stuck on a mission and that would be it you know i think the stuff with the little um was it rc helicopter or plane i one of the two Mm. in san andreas did for me you know like relatively early on like i i never i didn't get anywhere near full package out of that game
0: yeah there's there's zero missions in that game the david cross character when you're yeah you're like there's an, a one where you're being attacked by tiny planes on top of this building and you're manning a turret and it's so so hard and that was one that i think i broke a ps3 controller in anger for, because of that one which is really <laughs> embarrassing but um what can i say i was 18 at the time that is embarrassing actually the 18 <laughs> thing doesn't help at all but yeah the um i think i agree with you like I, in theory having modern controls makes these games really easy because it was always designed around quite batshit auto aiming or like mm-hmm. lock-on aiming of gta3 which you know you couldn't elegantly move between targets very well without getting openly exposed and shot because obviously it was a time before cover system so yeah um i'm excited to have those those upgrades too the other cool thing is because um because the san andreas one is coming out on game pass i like the idea i can kind of play that and then judge if i want to buy the whole set you know yeah that's kind of what i'm thinking of doing are you in the same boat
1: yeah aren't they giving away different bits in different places
0: yeah so i think gt3 you get on ps now in early december right yeah but um they're holding back vice city (laughs) they know it's the one people want i guess but uh (laughs) yeah yeah to be honest san andreas is the one i want i do like you like you i never finished it yeah for sure
1: that's the one i want to play through
0: yeah i'm I'm pleased they're doing it though i think someone made the point that it sucks that they've taken the old ones off sale on pc to sell these ones i agree that is bad there's no reason to do that really they could just put them on there and people can keep modding them but Mm. that is disappointing but yeah like you I, i really want to see what the um how they turn out because the version that's on ps4 as it stands is just really roughshod and not to- not very playable in in uh, 2021 mm. so other things matthew i wanted to ask you what you've been playing recently because you play about triple the games i do and i mostly <laughs> i have played 100 hours 106 hours of apex legends in three months and not loads else which is shameful on my part and um, otherwise I've been investing time in like Deus Ex and research bits for this podcast but what have you been up to lately?
1: I've been trying to play lots of stuff so that I've got interesting games to talk about in our games of the year podcast it's just become this huge thing on the horizon for me where I'm moving towards it and I feel like I really want to have like a definitive top 10 which is obviously insane like the idea of that is preposterous but I keep playing things and not particularly liking them and then I'm like, oh, well, this isn't in the top 10, so it's worthless to me, which is obviously also dumb. <laughs> but I'm just looking for, like, incredible quality or bust. Yeah, so I've been playing. Um, I've been playing a bit of Returnal, actually, mm. which I think is good, but uh, it is an incredibly boring take. Really difficult. And because of that, it can't have all my time because I've got so much other stuff to be playing. I think that's the big problem I have with super difficult games, is that if I'm not making noticeable progress in them my brain switches off and you know i may as well just try something else instead i wondered if this game benefited from coming out when it did because people didn't have as much competing f- for their time i'm not hugely far with it but already it gives me the feeling that the loops or the runs you're doing in it are just way too long for that structure you know i've heard people say it can take like a couple of hours to kind of get through a single run and if you die you're back to the start of it and that for me is just, you know, I can already sense that the length of time it takes me to to achieve anything, to achieve the little that I do achieve, really bugs me. Which is annoying because, you know, as a technical showcase, as a PS5 showcase, the way it uses the controller and all the haptics and all that jazz and the 3D audio, like it's probably, you know, the most impressive showcase outside of Astro Bot. But at the same time, like, I just can't claw away at it for too long i don't think
0: yeah i've played it and I, I got to a similar point where i was hit by the revelation that i will probably never finish this and right that's tough because i probably could if i made this the one game i played for like a month or two months but yeah i'm not quite in the place where i can do that at the moment and so i fear like not seeing the back of it i i'm pleased that i have it and that i've been able to experience it because like you say it is a great showcase for what the ps5 can do I'm actually trying to work out if the timing for it was good because you know there's a limited number of PS5s out there and you wonder if like a, a game like this had released midway through its like the lifespan of the console if it might have found like a, a really appreciative audience for that sort of thing but hmm. regardless I th- you you might be right though like it was the, the one PS5 exclusive for a well.
1: while. I just think the kind of arcade edge of it wouldn't speak to as many people you know housemark stuff has always has always been great but hasn't necessarily exploded and i think having this early in the cycle when there's not much else for people to play gives it its best chance like i just don't think in a world where there are you know god of wars to be played and more spider-man games that people would ever spend their 70 quid on housemark that isn't to put them down, but just in the context of what they are in, in terms of PS5 studios, I just don't really see that myself.
0: One thing I will say about that is that, you know, Sony, if if Sony's been subject to any criticism, it's that they make too many open world games, they make too many games that are kind of like, you know, broadly accessible for like lots of different people. They've made on PS5, you know, they, they bankrolled Deathloop, pretty hardcore time loop game. And they've, um, mm. they've you know, they made that demon souls remaster demon souls like notoriously very hard game and they made a very lavish version of that and then th- there's this which doesn't really fit into the the camp of anything they've been doing on ps4 and they went out outright and bought the studio off the back of it so you know mm-hmm. I-, I like the commitment to a bit of variety in that exclusive lineup yeah you know? that's good it's on yeah, that level it's I- good
1: Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I'm, like, I'm not putting Housemark or their game down at all. It's just you can tell from social media what excites your core PlayStation fan. It is those open world games. You know, it is Naughty Dog, God of War and uh, Horizon Zero Dawn. Like those those are the things. So, yeah, for this to have made the impact it has made is pretty cool. It's pretty impressive. But yeah, I just I'm just spoiled by Hades, really. Unfortunately, with with that model of game because mm. that game does it so beautifully
0: yeah Deathloop did as well Deathloop was like hardcore but made it kind of comfortable to repeat the day and um yeah yeah and i had you know because of the infusion system had quite a lot of continuity between those playthroughs whereas um i would say Deathloop hits you with a hard oh fuck when you're like dead and um it's uh that maybe that changes when you get deeper into it but certainly like in the early hours i found it um i i found starting again to just be a little bit a little bit too arduous for me you know so this i thought this was going to be a quiet like you know holiday period for games and then i kind of realized that i have guardians of the galaxy riders republic uh far cry 6 and in inscription uh to play along with like yeah. the forgotten city toem <laughs> and um i forgot i bought the great ace attorney chronicles i found that in a in a box the other day and i was like oh yeah i bought that this year and like <laughs> there are so many games matthew and age of empires 4 just landed on uh game pass yeah. forza horizon is imminent and halo is coming in early december this is not a quiet year at all is it and um i don't know it i don't know why it seemed that way um a few months ago but now i realize there's lots to play maybe it's because there's maybe like a uh, there are fewer big sexy exclusives this holiday period from sony and um nintendo but um yeah, how are you kind of like looking at the next couple of months? You know, I'm
1: still wrapped up in all of it for work. You know, it's it can be quite a, a juicy freelance period, but that also just changes the relationship with those games. I actually find these days I almost need to be kind of commissioned on something to give me the drive to really power through something. Mm. Otherwise, like my you know i'm very stop start with games but i am definitely in a game playing phase at the moment like i have phases where i'm like super into tv or i'm super into books and i'm just reading every spare moment of the day and i think getting the the switch with the oled screen and metroid dread kind of pushed me into a bit of a gaming phase at the moment so like I'm, i'm really up for everything and I'm trying to finish off things that I was really loving and hadn't quite finished off. You know, I'm super excited for Forza. Um, weirdly, it feels like Halo could be quite good mm. after it having a bit of a, a rough time. It feels like everyone's shifting to, actually, this is this is a good one, yeah. Uh, which would be amazing, if true. Just got to get it all done before that freaking episode. <laughs> that's, that's all I've got hanging over me.
0: Yeah, it's funny because for those who listen to the Best Games of 2020 episode... I really shat the bed on that one I didn't have any good suggestions (laughs) at all really and um, uh, maybe like a couple like FF7 Remake and um, Star Wars Squadrons but Matthew was like had played like pretty much everything and was really comprehensive and I was just like been playing more apex legends and destiny and it's like those are not (laughs) exciting entries if we were you know if if i was to redo that podcast and have more interesting suggestions but um so matthew's (laughs) gonna wipe the floor with me again this year because i don't think i've played more than five games from this year still so (laughs) good yeah that's good good um good stuff
1: there's not much i've like absolutely adored Hmm. like there's lots of stuff i've liked i've liked a lot of stuff which other people have loved um there's lots of nine out of tens that i maybe would have given like eights or sevens i've got a comfortable list of 10 already
0: but i wouldn't say it's a stellar list well a big thing that's happened with me actually is that um having this has been the first full year that i've really like engaged with game pass and i found that the volume of stuff is definitely pushed me into a kind of like i will play a game for two or three hours then move on sort of face. And right yeah that's not to dispute the enormous um uh, value proposition of the of the service i think it's great i think that like the um the thing is though because i have all these other formats and a lot of other games on different systems that i've built up over the years it's like maybe it almost feels like game pass is utterly perfect for someone who hasn't played games for about five years and just like picks up a new console um yeah. as it stands uh, there are so many indie games i've played for about 30 minutes and then like no more the artful escape is one of those um uh last last stop is one of those and uh 12 minutes is one of those like it's they're kind of uh, like moonglow bay is doomed to be one of those i think as well um <laughs> and it's like it's no slight against the games it's just because they they're shotgunned out at such a pace that I am um, mm. yeah that I don't quite have time to sort of get through them all. That's partly a me and my lifestyle thing, but have you had the same thing or are you a bit more diligent with ticking them off than I am?
1: I think this year more than ever has just kind of made me think that I'm I'm so clearly drawn to like big expensive AAA big releases. Mm. I find that there's been so much interesting indie stuff that I've like bounced off or I just can't get through or Like there's so many 2D top-down Zelda-looking games which which get like nine out of tens or ten out of tens, and people are like, "This is the best, you know, 2D Zelda-like since Link to the Past or whatever." And I just can't, I just can't be fucked to get on with it. (laughs) I I don't know what it is in my brain that's just not interested in in that style. Like I just I want big, expensive, shiny things. (laughs) I feel like that's where a lot of the positive reviews for Guardians of the Galaxy have come from, where lots of people are just like, oh yeah, graphics, a linear single-player game with amazing graphics. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It doesn't ask too much of me.
0: All Matthew wants is someone to make another spin cell conviction, basically. That's the... uh... Oh yeah,
1: just... Just that, yeah, for sure.
0: Yeah, I think you. Um, to be honest though, to the people who listen to this podcast, the fact that we like big, shiny, expensive games is surely no surprise. It's not a particularly radical take, but I like to think one of the things we do on this podcast is we talk about them fairly eloquently and in in an interesting way that um, sort of grabs people. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. But yeah, but there's no, you know, we did an indie games episode, and obviously that's part of like the sort of canon of what we talk about too. But we like big, shiny things. That's just what we do. Uh, Metroid Dread was
1: just such a pleasure. Yeah, spoiler alert for that, that end-of-year episode, Metroid Dread currently sits pretty high for me. I absolutely loved it. Just Nintendo firing on all cylinders so polished and so beautifully made and just really understood that character and executed that character brilliantly. Like that's, that's really what I want. I, th- I think I'm also just... I may be feeling a bit of a drought on the Nintendo side in that a lot of the stuff they're doing like, isn't stuff that I'm particularly like mad about at the moment. You know, like, I'm not a Pokemon guy. This feels like it's a big big Pokemon year with Snap and um, whichever other ones that, they're making at Christmas. <laughs> uh, one of their endless series of remakes. I need, a, I need a Mario or a Zelda. I need a 10 out of 10 masterpiece from Nintendo <laughs> to really, like, blow me away. Metro Dread wasn't quite that, but it was, like... For Samus, pretty close, I thought.
0: Are you not excited about Kirby's version of The Last of Us, Matthew? Is that not like... (laughs) The Kirby games are often surprisingly
1: excellent. The last couple of Kirby games have gone, like, full-on platinum by the end, where you are, like, fighting God in space, right. which listeners of this podcast will know <laughs> I'm a big fan of. Except it's Kirby, like, sucking in the universe. It's They're, like, the wildest things. So, like, I will never write Kirby off, because I know that Kirby can go to, like, some
0: crazy places.
1: Is The Last of Us Kirby going to be one of those games? <laughs> uh, you know...
0: We'll we'll wait and see. Yeah, I couldn't help looking at that and thinking there must be some 3D Mario people who worked on this. It just looks like it looks too much like recent 3D Mario games to not have that talent. But uh, I'm sure that game has an actual name, but Kirby's The Last of Us will be what it's referred to on this podcast (laughs) from uh, here on in. Um, Yes, Uh, speaking of single-player games, Matthew, this is the last kind of thing I want to ask you about. Amy Hennig making a Marvel game like i thought mm. i was i thought that was the timing was really interesting that that got announced the week that guardians of the galaxy was out i thought that was curious because you know they confirmed it's um this skydance new media a lot of film companies getting into game stuff now i'm not sure what that's about mm. but um maybe it's because the pandemic you know basically wiped out their industry i don't know but basically yes and um, this this amy hennig studio was staffed up with loads of veterans and they're making this Single-player Marvel game, Mysterious. I was wondering what you made of that. Amy Hennig,
1: getting to make games is a good thing. You know, I love the sense of fun that the Uncharted she was involved with had. thought it was a great shame we never got to see the Star Wars game she was working on. That Star Wars game was rumoured to be a single-player game, but have like a, a bit of an ensemble cast to it. The, the energy and the excitement of what an ensemble can be... I am still very much interested in from her and there are lots of things in Marvel where you could sort of make that work. Lots of famous gangs of characters who work together. It's kind of interesting, like, what's going on with Marvel games in terms of them not being based on the films and how people are reacting to that because I feel like Marvel's The Avengers, the Square Enix one, was almost a bit of a sacrificial lamb. Like, it had to kind of go out there and basically take the, the sort of the bruising that it wasn't the, the stars in the film, and now people are more open to that being being an approach. Like with Guardians of the Galaxy, that has seemed to have been less of a thing, and now that we can kind of just handle Marvel games being their own thing, and there are interesting people. You know, we've also got for are making their kind of strategy rpg thing that's super interesting amy hennig working in that space i'm definitely open to it i really want to play guardians of the galaxy i have heard lots of good stuff about it
0: yep it's uh it's unlocked on the uh the old epic games press account matthew so um, uh i'll be giving that a go uh, (laughs) well technically it's attached to the uh, podcast email so you know if you need access just give me a shout um but yeah i have to give you the authentication code but that should be fine uh, that's good good chat (laughs) yeah good thing to talk about the podcast yeah um yeah so that was um i guess that was our kind of like vague news roundup matthew did you have anything you want to ask me about computer games um are you you excited about the new season of apex legends do you want to hear me talk about that
1: the other day you tweeted that it was like a new release every time they did an update Mm. i don't really follow apex legends i mean what have they done that is so
0: exciting to you well they add they've added a new map basically and oh right okay so <laughs> when they add a new um uh, when a, a battle royale adds a new map it is basically like you know a whole other game has been added to it right, essentially. right because you know these games are free you can download that game on any any format you like you can go explore that map you can shoot people across that map you can enjoy that that's that's really cool and this time they've built a kind of like a sort of um islandy uh sort of map that's got like NPCs on it. So it's got like spiders and uh like these wolf wolves and stuff. So there are are different things going on in terms of like enemies who can attack you. And it's the biggest map Ooh. they've ever done by like fifteen percent or something like that. And they've done some fucking big maps in that game. The other thing is it's by the um the lead designer of this one is the lead designer who did uh World's Edge, which is my favourite map of the game, which is the um kind of Larry map that had the, the old party boat and train that I've um, discussed right. on this podcast in the past. Don't need to go over that again. <laughs> And um, on top of that, they added a new, they add a new character as well. So they've added a character who um, can kind of create, can basically teleport from one end of the map to the other, and has a, a power that um, lets them see who lets them track um, who killed a player. If you find a player's body, basically, it will tell you on the map where their killers are, and so they can, you can go hunt them based on that. So that's quite interesting Ooh. as an addition to it. Um, but every time they do this, they they sometimes the other thing they've done is they've reinvented one of the characters who wasn't very good and wasn't being used so her powers are completely different now they'll sometimes wholesale change a character so they're um they're more viable in um in multiplayer like a bunch of my characters have gotten better over time because um not as many people were using them but they've buffed them so they're a bit more like um oh nice worth having so it's hard to make update stuff sound super sexy but the new map is the cool thing it's like uh, dropping into a new space when you play the game as much as i do it's just good to have a new place to go basically you know Mm. these are like communal hangout spaces like i say because you spend so much time just wandering around empty parts of these maps just chatting shit so um
2: Mm.
0: yeah it is like uh again in lieu of going on actual holiday this year this is um this is going to have to do. So um yes, Apex Legends, <laughs> Matthew. It's available on so, all good games consoles now.
1: What you're basically saying is that this is going to be your game of the year again.
0: No, I'm going to avoid that because the listeners okay. are probably fucking sick of it. I mean, <laughs> I just imagine that like people don't listen to us to hear about live service games. Do you know what I mean? I feel like people probably like like this podcast to get away from that. So I'm not going to inflict it on them. And um I haven't been playing Destiny this year at all, actually. But I'm glad you've got out of that that bad relationship. <laughs> well 259 hours last year was probably enough the other thing is that i've got a destiny tax bill coming up so i call it destiny tax because basically like you have to buy a new expansion every year to have all the stuff and it's like i think it's i think it's like 80 quid this year the bill the bill's gone up you know they need what? they need to put like um like the energy cap there needs to be like a destiny cap i think on the amount that i have to spend on it but um <laughs> yeah to get everything i think it's like 80 quid the uh, new edition they've got for it so uh yeah it's just the way it is. But um, Yeah, I will probably play it just because the people I play Apex with are so into Destiny that they're kind of like... I think they're always up for me diving back into it, and eventually I'll just um, have to, you know, pay the piper and get on with it. So, uh, yeah, that's uh, that's a good relationship to have well, <laughs> in the game. A
1: healthy relationship
0: again. Yeah, very, yeah, very much so. Yeah, um, and I'm excited about playing Age of Empires 4, actually, which I've downloaded, and I think that'll be um, yeah. that'll be I'll be comforting. I'm, I'm a big Age of Empires guy. I know you famously hate strategy games, Matthew, because you can't you can't do them. I, I genuinely didn't know this about you. Uh, yeah, I mean, I've talked about uh, Command and Conquer a bit before on this well, yeah. um, on this yeah. podcast, but yeah, Age of Empires. I was you know like um like many people uh sort of it's a very like they're very 12 year old boy friendly games these because they just let you build loads of units and then like tear down a bunch of castles which is very important mm. to 12 year old boys um yeah uh, <laughs> for reasons i can't really explain but uh yeah so I'm, I'm excited about that one i am gonna make this the forza as well that i i i stay up to date with that i'm like playing it as other people are playing it because i've missed that boat each time so if i just play this one i feel like i'll be um yeah yeah. i'll be good plus it's just gonna be on game pass so that's good like you as well i'm excited about halo i think that they've um they've done a really good marketing campaign actually i think that the the idea that they let the multiplayer do the speaking first and then only showed the campaign when they were really ready to show some cool shit that was um mm. That was a good strategy. Plus, they put a beard on that Craig guy, etc. So, um, yes, there we go, Matthew. Some games chatter there. Anything else to add, or should we move on to the next section and discuss making a magazine? Let's move on. All right, good. It's over. Goodbye. Okay, welcome back to the back page, or as it's now known, the Game Pie podcast for uh, season <laughs> two, so um, that's exciting. Like, uh, what can people expect? Have I been buffed like an Apex Legends character? <laughs> uh, yes, but um, you've actually been replaced with. Um, oh shit! Yeah, <laughs> we've 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 like basically just recruited like a, a young, sexy YouTuber to replace you, and uh, <laughs> that's good. And um, oh, and I've been replaced too, actually, with um, one of the one of the other Sam Roberts who are in the games industry. Um, the <laughs> one who works, uh, he used to work for IGN. He he will now be on this podcast. Oh, so, well. Uh, well, it was fun. it was fun while it lasted. <laughs> I think so. I wish them well. So yes, um, what can people expect from uh, year 2 uh Matthew. It makes me think of that Simpsons 138th episode spectacular magic powers. Wedding after wedding after wedding. What can um, <laughs> do you think people can expect in year 2 of this podcast?
1: More poorly remembered anecdotes.
0: <laughs> um probably fewer of those though because we have um because we've we've done so many of them on this ep- on these episodes. More guests with bad mics. Uh um, <laughs> Try and work out who Matthew's taking a swipe at there. Like, uh, (laughs) that'll be fun for you. Uh, (laughs) I really appreciate all the guests who have come on, however, the mic situation. Well, I mean, there is a but.
1: And of course.
0: Thanks for your time but not your microphone. Uh yeah. <laughs> I think like a little this the some of the episode ideas I want to do in year 2 or just riff them off, but we've got um the best games of the the rest of the years to do. We've got to get up to 2019 on that one. And then mm-hmm. go backwards to 2001, which I want to also force Matthew to do at some point. Mm, and mm, um also, also more drafts. Yep, we've got the Wii and the PSV to drafts, also the Game Pass rival draft. We talked about that one. That will be um that will be good. We're big sammy holdings and matthew castle productions will come up with their own rival version of um uh, game pass you can imagine all the fun nonsense we will come up with off the back of that what we'll call it etc can't wait to hear what matthews is going to be called that'll be good um yeah probably uh more discussion of jc's kitchen best final fantasy games we want to do a witcher pod next year i might finally play red dead redemption 2 maybe we can talk about that at some point um <laughs> I, don't, I think we should do like best Nintendo Switch games at some point, Matthew. Then we can do that as a revised yeah. list down the line when they add there's, there's more of them to talk about. So let's get on with this podcast then after an hour of waffle. So we're going to talk about making a games magazine in, in this section. So we're going to go through it from like week one to four, which roughly tracks the kind of cycle of how a games magazine gets made. There's no trade secret stuff here, it's more like what we remember of the kind of creative process and the kind of weird stuff that can happen along the way while you're trying to get it done. So let's start with week one, Matthew. It's um, the last magazine has finished and the new magazine has begun. What do you do? We go to the pub, <laughs> <laughs> which which is probably a big mistake
1: <laughs> because the th- I would say the theme of making a magazine is is making the same mistakes over and over again. (laughs) Every month, you make the same mistakes, which makes you have a horrible deadline, and then you kind of recover when you should be getting into it and not making the same mistakes. Um, And hilariously, I didn't learn this over, like, ten years. um, But now when I look back on it, it's so obvious that that is 100% the case. So, yeah, I don't know about you, but end gamer, we'd finish an issue and then... The next day would basically be an off-site planning meeting, <laughs> what? as we used to call them. Oh, what? You
0: just went to the pub for an entire day?
1: <laughs> at lunch. Definitely at lunch.
0: Right. And then, yeah, that would probably be it for the rest of the day. Wow, yeah, that never happened, actually, in my um, in my experience. Like, um, they're definitely, like, <laughs> going to the pub the day of deadline, like, the day it's over. Or maybe the next day. But, like, um, not during work hours, admittedly. So, uh, but that's, like, you know, my... But I you know I was in charge. I should have instigated that as a kind of policy. But um, yeah.
1: Yeah. So that was quite imp- that was quite an important part of it. I mean, that morning. So the first bit of work I would have done, you know, as as like a staff writer or a section editor would be putting together uh, the reviews list for the issue. So I'd be looking at basically what was what was happening again. Another theme of these things is putting together the dream of what you want to happen and then basically navigating your way to the sad reality of what does happen <laughs> four weeks
0: later. Yeah, that's basically it. Like, um, <laughs> here's an interesting thing about games magazines, right? And this applies to film magazines and anything as well that's like, anything that's responsive that that has to be up to date in terms of like what it's covering. So you can't really be certain from day one what a games magazine is going to look like however there are other magazines where you can absolutely be certain of what it's going to look like so um my ex actually used to run a 3d magazine and she was slightly horrified that when i was working in games i didn't have any idea what i was doing on day one for like that issue whereas she had the entire issue commissioned before she even started like before she even finished the last one and that's because in 3d art you're not tying it to film releases and stuff you're just doing tutorials or whatever so i think fundamentally there's a difference in like one type of magazine's just easier to make scheduling wise than the other and games and magazines are just never easy because you're always like beholden to uh, preview events and uh, when review code's going to come in and stuff like that you want it to be as up-to-date mm. as possible you want to even if it goes down to the why you want to have the review of that big game and so that fundamentally makes it a reactive and challenging thing to put together So, yeah, that's um, one thing that comes to mind, Matthew. Mm. But I I, like you. When I was on X360 as a games editor, I I too would do the same thing of being, like, scoping out what can be in the preview section and what could be in the review section. And, uh, yeah, that was... um, that yeah, was reasonably fun but like you say yeah it gets whittled down suddenly your lead preview is no more and a game that you're not entirely convinced by becomes the lead preview and uh yeah your entire review yeah. section falls apart and suddenly you're doing four pages on mx versus atv or whatever you know what i mean
1: yeah i used to feel it bad because part of it as well is like calling around prs to try and get like code or, or you know you have your list of games you know, you have your list of stuff. I mean, this goes for, like, all the way up to being the editor where, you you know, you have, like, wide, you know, they're having the same conversations on day one about, like, the cover that your reviews editor's having about reviews code, you know, code or your game editor is looking at previews or whatever. Everyone is having the same thing. And I used to feel a bit bad that, like, my relationship with a lot of these people was just that phone call every four weeks to basically load them up with all the stuff I wanted. It's me again, with my obligatory monthly call. You know, we're not really pals. We don't really know each other at this point. But I'm just going to be asking for stuff, some stuff, and then I'll be back in four weeks' time. I always felt that was a little odd.
0: Uh, You underestimate how well-liked you are, I think, in in games media. Sometimes, as well, it takes years to build up those relationships, you know? It's like, um, it happens over... There are some PRs now I've known for, like you know more than a decade for example and i feel like fairly you know confident about just knocking on their door and stuff so uh i think you're probably uh undervaluing yourself there but i totally Maybe. i totally get it It becomes a bit more like these are the things i need to solve and um yeah less kind of cheerful preamble yeah i i think um that's I, I remember that too another thing about uh the early part of games magazines week one is when you write all of your sort of like non-timely pages so i think the big reason that magazines have like a back section that's usually got some retro stuff in there or some stuff that's not particularly timely is because you need something to commission on day one so your life isn't like a living hell uh, later on because if the <laughs> whole thing is made up of reviews and previews it's all like a roll of the dice whereas <laughs> having pages you could control very welcome is that how you kind of um saw that matthew yeah but which raises the
1: question of like
0: why wasn't that stuff commissioned to be in on day one <laughs> Well uh, sometimes I I did get ahead of it sometimes on PC Gamer like um or like you know Andy for example would roll off of an issue early and I'd be like oh hey can you Go write a retrospective on SWAT Four or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, um, <laughs> I, I, I could, I could get ahead of that stuff sometimes. Not always, but sometimes. Could you? Yeah, not, we were yeah. we
1: were always very bad at that. Even though you know it was designed to be written by anyone, I always really liked it to be written by in-house staff. I liked the regular things to have more of a regular voice. I lent on freelancers a lot more for preview events or reviews, which was mad. So the the sections that were designed for like easy writing. I definitely made more work, which if I was doing it again now, I'd probably be less precious about. I
0: think that, like, um, I take your point, though. But no, I was, I was always the same. I always wanted my um, my team to pick up a retrospective or whatever. Then every now and then you'd give them a break. And so, well, that's week one, then, the planning side of things, Matthew. As an editor, what did, like, selecting a cover always look like early in the cycle for you?
1: Again... A conversation I wish I'd started two weeks early every time, <laughs> but like when you should be having that conversation, you just do not have the bandwidth to ever have that conversation for me the 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 big discussion was always, can we make something work with something we don't particularly have, or do we go with something lesser that we can make happen that's basically the big dilemma I feel a lot of editors are constantly facing. There's someone comes to you with something good access good access to something not amazing or bad access to something great and there is a fair amount of umming and ahring. Like, you may even mock up different things to get a feel which one you're going for. I remember, like, the early part of the mag, there there were kind of two different deadlines for covers and packaging. That's the big motherfucker, really, because, like, what happens inside the bag can go a bit later, but what happens on the bag, you have to lock down, and that's the stuff that's going to be out there, and I feel like, you know, particularly on LXM, locking enough cover hits for that wallet two weeks into an issue that was
0: always a huge challenge I think that because I worked on I worked on a mix of mags that had like bags or wallets and those that didn't when you don't have that wallet it is easier to like you know you have more, more maneuverability to be like what's our yeah. big thing and like often you'll find that the companies don't have the artwork ready for your wallet deadline so you end up kind of like using a logo and then you know the inside the bag that you'll see the actual artwork, because you get it a bit later on. I had that a couple of times, you know.
1: It's this, like, whirlwind of different deadlines, and different deadlines mean different things for the mags, because... There's your wallet deadline, so, you know, that's the stuff the public's going to see, so, you know, it has to to reflect what is inside the magazine, which you're only halfway through making. You have the cover deadline, which obviously is dictated by what your cover game is. You have the final deadline where you've got a bit of maneuverability around other stuff around the outside. Really annoying when you manage to squeeze something amazing in but it's not reflected on the wallet because you didn't know about it at the time. For me, like, week two is is that maelstrom of endless deadline juggling and making sure the different bits are happening for the different timings. It's it's pretty stressful.
0: Week two for me. So when you start a magazine, you make a thing called a flat plan, which is basically just, like, uh, mapping out all your sections with little labels on each page saying what's on each page. And the reason I think that indie games are, like, match made in heaven for games magazines is because unlike games publishers who have, like, you know, very... um, concrete marketing plans of like when things roll out for different games so you know when you see a trailer roll out and stuff that's been planned months in advance on it with indie games people just want you to write about their game so you know they'll you you'll contact a developer and they'll be like i can either send you a build or they can give you an interview quote so they can give you some screenshots like it's quite straightforward to sort out so on pc gamer in particular. I became quite big on leaning into having like lots of one and two page indie previews, Matthew, just to kind of like hmm. bookend the blockbusters. Did you ever get into the pattern of doing that?
1: You benefit from being like the absolute sort of indie heartlands of PC. Hmm. Harder on definitely Nintendo, Xbox. There was like idea Xbox stuff, so we could we could have a bit of that. I mean, what was kind of useful over the, especially the later years, is because indie was becoming you know, so big, you were getting some quite big names from, you know, AAA shifting back into indie. So even if, like, the game itself wasn't particularly something you were wild about, you could get quite good access to some good names who were better known, and you could maybe spin out some stuff like that. Um I think lots of people do that now. It's where a lot of these, like, big series retrospectives comes from. You know, it's basically all these people who've kind of left the left the mothership and are now kind of free to talk about things once their, their non-disclosure agreements are up. Th- the big thing in Nintendo was the fans filled so many gaps for us, like people doing interesting stuff. You know, we had a, a a large section in... Uh, Nintendo Gamer, which was like World of Nintendo. Oh, not the there was always World of Nintendo in End Gamer, but there was like ten Nintendo happenings at the front, which was like six pages of just really nice, classy stuff fans are doing. And like Nintendo fans were so sort of fervent that you could rely on them to make nice stuff. You weren't just putting in like, no offense to the kids, but you weren't just putting in like crappy sketches that children had drawn of Mario. You know, it was kind of like here's someone who's made, like, a legitimately nice, like, you know, wood carving of Wario or something, you know, and it had, like, beautiful photography, and you could go on people's Etsy's and find all these interesting products. Yeah, stuff like that. So, you know, we, we could really lean into that, and we did it on O&M as well. You know, let the fans have, like, 10 pages of the Mac because they make such professional-looking stuff. That was fine. Couldn't do that on OXM, Xbox, and Sony, I just don't think, have the fans doing that kind of stuff. Mm.
0: Yeah, for sure. I just imagine as well that you, um, all those kiddies drawings, because you found some better stuff, just go into a big pile and you set it on fire and go. (laughs) 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 We
1: we didn't really have that kind of readership. I think our readership skewed older. Like we very rarely received any kind of pictures from our readers. You know, we got emails, if that. We used to do this thing where we'd go on the DeviantArt and, and get like really nice like professional drawings from nintendo things it was called ganon's gallery and the kind of gimmick was it was all being critiqued by gandorf nice from Zelda, and so it'd be like this really nice picture of, you know, piece of art, and then it'd be a little picture of Gandalf saying like, oh yes, exquisite brushwork, (laughs) and then the joke was, if it was ever something to do with Link, he'd be like, disgusting, I hate it, (laughs) you know, I'm being sick, you know, sick noises, that kind of stuff, Um, That's good. which always used to make me laugh.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's not dissimilar to the ethos of this podcast, really, when we do our likes of (laughs) Gamescore. Yeah, I
1: like... I like I like the bullshit around the edges. That's what makes
0: it. (laughs) That's kind of what makes a magazine a little bit, yeah. 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 Let's think week two. So trying to like sort out your covers around this time. Like um, on um, our future uh, editors just had the autonomy to just like pick their covers outright. It's one of the things I um, really liked about working at Future. So piece of gamer, I made loads of choices and um, it was uh, it it was good. But um, yeah, there's just always such a like uh, it's such a roller coaster thing of like not knowing whether something will will fall perfectly they'll be like okay there's a preview event happening at the end of like week three of your cycle and you're like okay i can make that work that's fine then then the preview event moves back a week and you're like oh fuck and like um that sort of thing determines whether a cover lives or dies basically
1: If it's not an event it's you're waiting for the screenshots or the interview to come back deep breath are we gonna have enough to fill the eight pages we've put aside for it and then it's, like, four screens, and you're like, fuck. Or you get the interview back, and it's, like, you know, one-line answers to ten questions they haven't answered the other half, and then you're just like, well, we've sent that wallet, we've committed to it, yeah. you know, here we go. And you curse them. You curse them, and you'll say, I'll never, ever work with this person again. <laughs> and uh, lo and behold, you're uh, signing up next year for the annual version of that game that <laughs> shit on you last year, and it shits on you again. You're like, yes, sir, please, sir, may I have another... <laughs>
0: (laughs) Well, it's always like a thing of like, what's the best thing for the readership? That's what you always ask yourself is yeah, it's like finding the middle ground between, you know, what's gonna sell and like what's yeah, what's what will the readers care about? And then what do you think is good as an editor? As I discussed on that covers episode, so picking it could be fraught. I mean, honestly, I would say probably like 40% of covers that I worked on were like sorted by week two in terms of like what you had chosen would be the eventual cover. The rest, I would say, probably happened in like the um, in the last two weeks of the issue. So yeah, yeah. So week three, Matthew, that's when it's really hotting up. That's when you're kind of like getting most of your content in because by that point you've commissioned a load of stuff to come in from freelancers. Uh, your writers have just been working on that issue and um, sort of like in the run up. Um, deadline isn't quite here yet, but it's sort of on the horizon. What do you kind of remember about this part of the mag cycle?
1: I mainly remember my production editor getting very nervous <laughs> um, the production editor for people who do not know magazines that well they're basically prodding the text they're going through everything and you know fitting it to the page they're doing the quality checks making sure everything's working on the page spelling grammar everything style guide like they're really working it up and it's different from mag to mag but the mags i've worked on they often sort of manage the flow of things. They they have in hand, like, when stuff's coming in, they're making sure it's not all getting too bunched up. But because of that, they're also the person who, like, doesn't want you to fuck with stuff uh, on the flat plan because every time you move anything... It causes so many kind of ripples when you've got lots of references to other things on the mags where it's like, see page, blah for this. And every time you move something, all that changes, all your content pages changes. There's so many little things that can kind of knock on. If you ever got a magazine where the page numbers are wrong, that's definitely because someone shifted the pages around rather than didn't notice it in the first time. So their base, their job is to stop you from kind of riffing, (laughs) which you're kind of, probably going to start doing at this point because better stuff's coming along and you want to start cramming it in it's sort of my memory of this point in the mag
0: (laughs) yeah if you think of the entire process of making a magazine it's like a work pipeline basically so you've got a production editor and you've got an uh, an, uh, art editor or a designer and you want to make sure that they've both always got stuff to do so if you're not if you're not careful the first two weeks can end up being really quiet and then the last two weeks end up becoming like absolutely fucking chocker so they go from like zero work to like triple the work they can really handle <laughs> and like that's what you want to avoid whether you can or not uh realistically i don't know i think making magazines is just like it's just tough it just is it's kind of yeah. like to get the best stuff in does require being timely a lot of the time and it does it does it just causes headaches and it's quite um quite stressful But, like, um, yeah, it gets the best product.
1: I'd say I've always been quite lucky in that I've always had prod-eds who can also write. When we were on Endgamer to, to start off with, you know, Chrissy and Charlotte were production editors, and they both wrote, like, loads of really great stuff, like lots of, like, the review roundups, that kind of stuff there, and really, like, helped, you know i often found with mags that like the more consistent the kind of voices could be in terms of here are your kind of five core writers the kind of better so having them doing those little bits was always really nice if if they ever got quiet they could start generating more work for themselves they probably shouldn't have been but
0: you know it's fun isn't it it's fun writing about games (laughs) i am one thing that one massive thing on pc gamer is that uh, tony ellis who was like a long time production editor was basically the most important person in how the writing within the magazine actually like read because he wasn't just a guy who like made it fit on the page he would basically rewrite articles to make them like better and mm. he was so valuable for that like it was basically like being a deputy editor and a uh, sub editor production editor at the same time he would turn sort of like something quite average into gold basically And the reason why, you know, of Game was so consistent um, when I was working on it is because, you know, I had him to sort of depend on. So that was like, yeah, production editors are just like unsung heroes, really. Tony gets talked about quite a lot by different writers in the games industry because I think he's like, you know, taught a bunch of people how to become better writers, essentially. So, yeah, yeah, he's a very valuable, very valuable figure. But um, of course, our editors are the other unsung heroes, Matthew. I feel like um, we've not talked about them too much when we've done these episodes, but they're like, you know, the sort of patience it takes to, to like wait for like the right stuff to come in and then sometimes the pace at which a cover feature has to come together it can absolutely yeah. it can be absolutely shotgunned out but then you still get absolute gold from these um amazingly talented people you know Yeah, that was always really amazing. You're like,
1: you've upselled this so well compared to what the kind of crap it actually is. As long as it looks like a magazine feature, it almost doesn't matter if it doesn't read like a magazine feature. Yeah. Uh, Like, people don't always notice. Endgamer was particularly nightmarish because in mags, you basically have a lot of templated pages, which are just, you know, like your reviews, previews. I don't think it's too unfair to say a lot of them is just kind of like drop the text and images in and they're kind of designed to be good to go. But Gamer had like so many bespoke pages so many bespoke elements even like the reviews pages the amount of character art on them it was it was super hectic you know it was sort of semi designed to be a bit more like your kind of japanese mags you sort of for mitsus which is just like an explosion of just chaos everywhere so that was a mad that was like super work intensive on on like everyone and definitely the mags that I worked on as I went along, like whenever we redesigned, we always sort of simplified as much of it as possible. And then you'd have a few, you had a
0: couple of features where like the art ed would really get to do their thing. And Doing captions is uh, another thing. Like um, Tony used to do those on PC Gamer, but like when I had to do them on Games TM, I just, they must have, I have did so many bad captions as an editor. It was just um, <laughs> comical, really. But like so a, I
1: love it when you get like just, you can really tell when someone is just doesn't give a shit and has phoned it in, when it's just kind of like, there are shops in the game.
0: <laughs> and you're like, oh, come on. The thing <laughs> you know, and it's a picture of a shop. My last resort would always be like a really weak source bit of sort of comedy, like um, in quote marks, like a, I don't know, let's say a character's pointing a gun and he's in like, I don't know, <laughs> let's say he's in like a shopping centre. And it's like, uh, oh, I can't believe they ran out of toilet roll or something like that. And it's like, (laughs) that's just obviously terrible, but it's the easiest thing to do is that you're basically saying what you see and... (laughs) And like, is this content? But I feel like I did a lot of those captions, you know.
1: If you write uh, for Edge magazine, like their captions are like super long, like they're like mini paragraphs. You can legitimately say something important in those captions. So I feel like, oh god, I've really got to come up with something good for this. <laughs> you can't just have a man with a gun saying, "I can't believe they've run out of toilet roll." I, th- <laughs> I don't think that would fly in Edge.
0: I feel like I should read this um, Dying Light two piece and see what kind of captions he came up with for that. It might give me a good cross section of um, how you think about this stuff
1: matthew yeah. uh yeah i'm i'm not great at captions <laughs> um like i'm okay at like little weird sort of like a lot of the little jokes we used to cram in around end gamer like the footnotes or there were like the little kind of um oh, i've forgotten all the terminology of this stuff like the little kind of colored spots we'd have in color character art you know little bits and bobs there but when i give me like 20 words and it's kind of do i say something that mi- meaningful or do i do I try and, like, make a joke about this guy looks like he needs a shit or something? Right. <laughs> you know, it's... there. are always the bit that came last, and I was always the most tired by that point. <laughs> and you could just tell, like, some people are great captions writers. I was never one of them.
0: I, I struggle with it, too. Like, there was some other weird sort of minutia on PC Gamer. Like, uh we had the big word, which anyone who's read PC Gamer will see that when you get to the reviews section... There's like, um, in massive black text, uh, sort of like a big word at the top that says, you know, it's like a kind of pun, usually a one word pun, or that Mm. relates to the game. Um, And they were really hard to come up with the best one I ever came up with was one that never fit, which was when um, Forza Horizon three, I think it was had that uh, Hot Wheels DLC. And, like, um, I think, like, all of the courses in the game were, like, orange because it was, like, the plastic tracks that you get when um, when you're using Hot Wheels cars. And uh, orange is the new track was the one that I came up with. Oh. And that was so good. Um, I think, like, <laughs> I, I think, like, a really dumb one we came up with was for a game. It was, like, a Spelunky-like game. And I think we, me and Phil between us, came up with Sick Cave and the Rad Deeds, which was just like genuinely (laughs) terrible, but amazing at the same time. So those are hard to come up with. Those are some, that's just some of the stuff to come up with. And to do, you know, it's one of those things that you don't really notice it when it's done badly, but when it's done well, it kind of has a a real impact.
1: I always feel the pressure because it was, that was the stuff people used to sort of say about you know the end game of family line you know n64 ngc it was all the crap around the edges that people fell in love with so it's kind of like oh man i really want this stuff to kind of like sing you know sometimes you can overdo it and you're you're striving so hard for like a joke or a bit or whatever that it can seem too try hard and it just it lands horribly on the page so hmm. yeah still
0: to this day uh, a, a very delicate balancing act so week four matthew the final week of the issue this is just like always so so stressful, and um, <laughs> I don't think there was any mag I worked on that didn't have like late nights. Like I know that some editors could manage their time very well, so they didn't have late nights. Uh, I I was either wasn't that editor, or the magazine required too much last minute stuff for that to be possible. I found that like I, my attention span is extremely good for like uh, writing and editing on magazines. I didn't th- I didn't really waste time during the day. I was always working, but Um, it just inevitably piles up. What's your kind of memory of the final week of working on magazines?
1: I I was a really close page checker. I was very, very particular. Probably too much of a control freak about wanting to, you know, personally sign off every page. You know, some people would give, you know, if their dep head had signed stuff off, that was fine. But we were often so up against it. My dep heads were were writing that week. So, yeah, my memory is is just... Is yeah, A, the the manicness of the office, but also just taking home big piles of, like, slippy, A4 slippy folders with printouts of pages. Heaps of these bags. I remember them because they were... I call them slippies because they were really slippy. I used to have piles of them. They were always fucking slipping off my table at home (laughs) and desks, and I was always picking these fuckers up. is a memory of deadline. When you're really stressed, the last thing you want to do is be picking up all this shit off the floor um that happened a lot i was a bit of a notorious rewriter in terms of like tweaking stuff and and not necessarily sending stuff back but massaging stuff you know i wanted the editor's hand to be on everything which is why we had loads of good writers where you'd be reading this stuff and there'd suddenly be like a really shitty dad joke in the middle of it because that was me (laughs) i used to feel terrible about like inserting my my crap into like you know simon parkin's work or something you know it's just it's just a completely unreasonable thing to do um but you did it anyway but i did it anyway because i was in charge god damn it a lot of late nights checking over these pages every different mag has different things that stick with you i mean like my genuinely like my lasting memory of o&m is having to constantly copy and paste the e with the accent of pokemon um (laughs) because i didn't know the keyboard shorthand for it so i'd have to find an e with an accent and then copy and paste it i was always having to do that um (laughs) you have some weird font things where like if you italicize game titles it's not just a case of hitting an italicize button sometimes you have to pick a special font with like a different weighting because it looks funny when it's italicized yeah that's really nerdy but like Honestly, so much of Deadline is spent pulling off these like quite arcane processes of making very tiny things change on the
0: page. Mm. It gets just really, really granular. One thing I just recalled from that was um, it was never a simple case, on PC Gamer at least, it was never a simple case of italicising a font. It <laughs> yeah. was like you had to select the words you wanted to italicise and then pick the degree angle at which the words would be tilted. Oh
1: Jesus! And like
0: it was, I think like when we had the first uh, sort of run at a redesign, like um, one of the new fonts was like nine point one two degrees or something, and it was like, look, this has to be ten, or like we'll all go (laughs) mad typing that out every time. So that was one thing. Uh, InDesign as a program is like sort of catastrophically complicated. It's a program I used for like eight years, I think, and then I still never really learned about like eighty percent of what it does. Um, because mm. it was just so it was so complicated and I was that's why like designers are wizards because you'd see them you know take this program and just make gold out of it but um yeah I just found that so spectacularly hard to use all the time but um yeah that's sort of that odd ephemera like is this actually at 12 degrees instead of 10 degrees you know looking <laughs> yeah. out for these really specific odd things
1: weird things are like numbers were in a different font to the text right because like we didn't like the way the numbers looked in the font we'd used mm. and just stuff like that and you're like every time you hit a number you have to click on a menu a couple of times stuff like that used to drive me up the wall like people because that was quite easy to miss even for like a good prod ed and you were just constantly having to check and sometimes you'd be looking at something going like is that wrong and you wouldn't until you actually went into the menu you'd be like oh yeah that's wrong Um, that's how minor these things were. And I don't think anyone noticed, though, I will say, and this isn't me being, this isn't me being, like, a snide shit or anything, but when you see, like, fan mags, you do notice all that shit not being right. Some, you know, when it hasn't had necessarily, like, you know, the designer's eye of someone who's designed magazines for 20 years and a prod-ed who's been doing it for 10 years. Like, my eye is super drawn to that. I don't know if it's because... I'm so used to close reading magazines or if everyone's eye is drawn to those those things. But that that's always the stuff that jumps out at me. When you get like Patreon mags and stuff, I'm always like, oh yikes, like these italics are horrible or like the widows on this paragraph are just fucked and things like that.
0: There's some stuff that I just had a blind spot for on um, on PC game. I think I would miss... Uh, missing words would be like the, probably the most common error of my ones. Um, I think just because a tired deadline brain can sometimes fill in the blanks on your reading, or at least I found that a little bit so mm. those are more common areas in mine not too many of them but like um at least one or two that i remember that are into my memory generally Great. speaking deadline was just like a kind of rushed the finish some of the stuff i reflect on like the the cover i did where i was like i don't know how i did that in retrospect well the answer was i had a good deputy editor phil savage but this we did a star wars battlefront 2 cover i went on the trip i sent the i, I sent the cover feature back from the trip before i got on a flight and when i landed i think i went straight to the office and that was deadline day that's how tight the time frame was it all happened in like the last three days of the magazine cycle the thought of that doing something like that now makes me so tired because like you know (laughs) I, i guess it must have seemed theoretically possible to me at the time but now the prospect of flying to a different country seeing this game at star wars celebration which is a really fucking busy and loud event and then like writing it up on the day sending it back and then getting on a plane flying back and sending a magazine just pure madness you know what I mean like yeah but I did that probably like five or six times throughout my um, uh, yeah
1: <laughs> I did page checking and sending while I was at gamescom Oof. that was pretty mad yeah that's pretty so I had just a huge pile of stuff and I was checking because they were all chocker back at there and I remember like we'd rented a like an airbnb apartment and i remember the first night which gamescom hadn't started but i had so much work that i just stay in this flat and they all they'd all gone to a mafia 3 like announcement event right and they all came back and they'd all been like i think it'd been done up like some kind of gangster club or something so they'd all been like drinking whiskey and smoking cigars and shit you just gotta imagine like four of just the most opulent smelling dudes coming into this flat when i'm sitting at this kitchen table with my red pen you know circling all the twos that hadn't been done in the right font right. and just thinking like man my life is so fucked compared to theirs because <laughs> um, i think some of them were like you know website people at this point so they they just
0: didn't have any of that bullshit to deal with yeah that's the thing when i moved into it when I, I, have, I have such a lot of respect for print people because um that a deadline doesn't really have an equivalent on websites, maybe like something like a big launch, like an Apple launch or something like that. I would see the um, yeah. tech radar a lot, really. Black kind of, Friday. The, oh, yes. Black <laughs> Friday as well. Yeah. But like um, there's something because uh, of how often deadline was, it was 13 times a year. That's like you know, it's an enormous feat to to pull off for sure. Um, yeah, I always kind of like felt slightly gutted and missed out on the sort of cigars um, <laughs> kind of Mafia 3 event. It sounded fun, <laughs> even though if I would have looked preposterous there with my, uh, my rucksack and my super dry shirt just smoking a cigar. Um, but yes, <laughs> um, the last thing I want to ask about with the... Ma- no,
1: I want to see a guy with a man bag holding a cigar.
0: <laughs> <laughs> the last thing I want to ask about, uh, Matthew, was um, eating on deadline. I feel like deadlines were so bad for my <laughs> diet because you kind of go from a potentially a week of like fast food or like quick food or microwave food into probably one or two days where you'd go out with the team to the pub and have like a probably a shitty burger and like eight beers so like Mm. um i know uh, so my body just declined as an editor because i was just like (laughs) you know i didn't i i I think like i emotion. i eat emotionally basically and deadline just kind of brought out the worst in my eating habits was it the same for you as well, well yeah and i think i think
1: it's something we definitely bonded over when i when i was <laughs> back in the bath office on oxm you know of all the other editors i was like here's someone who's on the same page as me <laughs> you know we're both like stress eaters yeah i can i can identify a fellow but i think you know we i don't know if our deadlines aligned but i just remember a lot of late nights in the office where it was you know us and you um, rather than any of particular editors, so we definitely, like, connected over that. I mean, yeah, I mean, I eat terribly 24-7, but, yeah, on deadlines it was particularly bad. I tell you what, it, it wasn't in London. In London, um, I was so hard up because I moved to London from Bath, and I basically wanted to live somewhere that reminded me of Bath, <laughs> which in London costs you Way more than what a magazine editor is paid, right. and so I had this really nice room in a really nice house in West Hampstead. But I was basically like bankrupt the whole time. Right. Um. So, like, I, I genuinely got so bad where like I couldn't even afford the tube, so I had to walk everywhere, and it was like a f- fifty-minute walk from like the office to home every day. So I was actually like, that's horrible. I was surprisingly trim, you know, back then. Um, that was like one time I was healthy, but just out of like poverty rather than choice. And I came back to Bath and things were a bit more comfortable. And then it was just like, you know, the Bath building, the Bath future offices sort of almost touch a subway, um, <coughs> which is basically bad news for me. Yeah. Oh, my God. I ate like an
0: absolute hog. Yeah. It's just amazing. But it's, it's, it's funny because I, I never saw other editors experience the same thing like uh, people were either better at compartmentalizing their, their sort of stress or they just they just weren't they just didn't have the same habits that i did of eating like i just uh, but i've never seen like i never really saw other editors just like balloon in weight like i did um over the course of like <laughs> editing a mag like um yeah there's just yeah i think i mentioned before there's a photo of me in like 2013 when i was on games tm where i look quite trim and pretty good and there's a photo of me in like 2014 with like big man boobs outside a bath pub and I was just like what the (laughs) fuck happened in that year and like um, (laughs) yeah I mean there's a reason like
1: I pretty much use one of my O&M headshots to this day. <laughs> Even though it does not reflect what I look like. Yeah, there are only... I think it's quite shocking when I turn up in the flesh.
0: <laughs> there are only two angles at which I will allow myself to be photographed at this point, yeah. Um, it's kind of like a Marlon Brando in Apocalypse Now situation. Uh, <laughs> or Stellan Skarsgård in June, you know? That's like a <laughs> big energy. So that's kind of... Uh, I think we've kind of like wrapped it up there, with Matthew. I feel like I've, I've shared every thought I've basically had now on making magazines apart from um, in the next section when we talk about things that can go wrong. Do you have anything else you want to add there or do you like we've covered the process pretty well?
1: I will say while it was rough the process did massively bond me with the people doing a deadline is a hellish thing for a lot for, for a group of six people to go through together and you do come out with a certain amount of like instant respect and we still had a lot of fun. There were a lot of laughs, it just, there would be points where it was just like, fuck, we've got to get this done. And the sense of sending the last document, we had this system where, like, it was colour coded based on, like, whether things had been sent, and we'd just be, like, refreshing it until it changed to the colour, which said, like, these documents have basically, they've been accepted at the printers or whatever, and refreshing it, and then the flat plan would all ping green, everything was done, and then you were like, great, let's go and waste two days... And start the hell process again. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, absolutely. I think that but I love those two days. Fuck, I love those two days so oh, much. They're pretty good. I think it is as well. Like you know, this this feels like such a bygone era now. But I loved sending the mag and going to the pub with a piece of game a lot. Like I have good memories of going to the Hobgoblin and Bath, uh, which has oh. been replaced with a quite a naff looking wine bar um there used to be this quite grungy uh pub that did a, a cider called Beasting, sting which was like eight percent or something like that something nuts and then we just like drink too many of those and then put money in the jukebox and it was a really good time and um <laughs> yeah i really liked that that was like you know like you say it's a real kind of like bonding exercise i think magazines just give you such a work ethic as well like um i just think that the kind of Strict nature of how uh stuff has to come in is just really good for you as a kind of professional as a working professional like it really mm. kind of like you really learn to prioritize things and balance things and stuff like that and then just like fo- stay focused so yeah i am I, um, I like that and then of course there's the golden moment where you get the magazine back matthew which was when was that not never good eh that was like a very specific endorphin rush of um Seeing it in the flesh for the first time, right? That was always good.
1: Yeah, it was always good. Maybe a couple of issues where you felt like, oh man, we hated that cover story so much, or we hated having to do that for whatever reason. That when you see it, it's like a, a sort of wound opening up again. You're like, oh no, it's Wayne Rooney with a but as a me. <laughs> <You know? laughs> like we didn't want to see that fucker again.
0: Yeah, so that seems like a good point to um to pause it, Matthew. Let's take a break. and We'll come back with 15 things that can go wrong while making a magazine. That will be a... Only 15? <laughs> yes, that we could come up with this time. <laughs> Welcome back to the Game Pie Podcast. <laughs> um, uh, sponsored by uh, low budget uh, gaming headsets. That's. Um... Wouldn't we be sponsored by a pie? Uh, that's a good point. We're sponsored by uh... Frey Bentos. Uh... <laughs> That's really cursed. Like uh, <laughs> of all the pies, you had to pick the cheapest, nastiest pie. <laughs> do you know what? Though the crust is pretty good. You, how do you feel about We're Frey sponsored Bentos? by Frey Bentos's cursed pies? <laughs> how do you feel about a Frey Bentos pie?
1: I I I don't know if I've ever had one. I'm what a terrible snob I am. I'm throwing around the name Frey Bentos without having any first hand experience. It's like
0: it's not bad as like a poverty pie it's like
2: oh geez.
0: well it kind of is it's like a one pound pie like you know or around that and I ate it a lot when I was a staff writer it's just like it's you know and, and when I was um sort of living on sort of studentish kind of money so like yeah I um, I, I, I let's just move on <laughs> Very I'm more up. of a pie I'm more of a pie minister pie pie minister's got big like um pie Tory energy though I would say um, <laughs> We probably have to trim all of that. Oh, never mind. Oh, I'm keeping that in. That's gold. Oh, dear. I feel like I'm, I'm not really saying that Pine minster's like Tory. That's, um, you know. That... Oh, well, it is. It's very Bath. It's very Bath. Yeah, but Bath's not that Tory, is it? It's like. Maybe a it's bit that Tory. Lib Dem pie. Yeah, there you go. It's a Lib Dem pie. Let's do that and uh, avoid. Um... Yeah, the Tory pie is the game pie, <laughs> as we've already established. Yeah, which contains pheasant or a, a number of other unusual <laughs> woodland creatures <laughs> venison and, <of> and kidneys. <laughs> That does sound very, like, British and cursed, when you put it like that. And medieval, as you said on Twitter. So we've got a fun thing to fire through here. We thought we'd just go through 15 things that can go wrong while making a magazine. So I'll start with one of mine, Matthew. Accidental duplication of a page... Um, this can happen for a variety of reasons, but this only happened to me once, but it happened while I was on holiday in Amsterdam and I was doing one of the, um, things you can do in Amsterdam that you can't do here. That sounds really salacious, doesn't it? It's not really. What? Go to Anne Frank's house. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, basically, <laughs> it wasn't that, I'll be honest, it was something else just to kind of clear that up um And then, like, someone messaged me, like, oh, there's a page duplication error. And I was like, oh, fuck. And then uh, De- Chris, the deputy editor, messaged me, saying, oh, no, we saw it now. And I was like, oh, thank God. But there was, like, about <laughs> 30 seconds on holiday where I had, like, a massive anxiety attack about it. So, um yeah, that's a thing that can, um you know, maybe can happen. It, uh, unusual, but it can happen. Another one was, uh, second one for me was spelling mistakes, missing words, formatting errors. I've mentioned this, but it is always heartbreaking to see a mag come back and it's got, like, an error in it. I am. Um, in the first the forward like the editor's um intro for the pc gamer redesign issue there's a missing word in my intro and i thought oh fuck i've ushered in a new era of pc gamer with an error And i just thought i i when i saw that i felt so defeated but um thankfully they weren't that common do you ever have much of these i don't think there was anything that was more reread and closely read
1: than the wallet which only had about 30 words on it compared to the rest of the bag but God, I would read those words so many times, over and over and over, because that's the stuff where if you make the error, all your peers will be will be taking the piss out of you f- for years, as they do with, um, was it PSW, I believe, which had the infamous honk Kong. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. <laughs> that is famous. Uh, famous. There's also um, Kartos' is back, wasn't that another one? That was like, yeah. 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 <laughs> um, <laughs> I think, like, I remember, I think it was like, I think I saw Star Wars 1313 on an Imagine One once. Um, That's unfortunate. (laughs) But, like, uh, yeah, so uh, it happens. (laughs) I I don't think I've had any, I think I've had, like, maybe one on the cover on PC Gamer ever. But, like, um, yeah, it is one of those things where you don't want it to be so embarrassing it follows you around. Hong Kong definitely follows you around.
1: (laughs) My first ever issue of OXM, where I'd just taken over as the editor, in my editor's intro, I got respawn and sledgehammer mixed up when I was talking about either Titanfall or the Call of Duty the sledgehammer are making. To this day, that's quite annoying that I, that here I am announcing myself as like, don't worry, you're in safe hands. And here's me just blundering in with these mistakes. That
0: wasn't great. Oh yeah, it's tough though, isn't it? You know, it's like uh, yeah, yeah, it's it's difficult. But um, yeah, I totally get it. Plus, you know, it's like one big amorphous Call of Duty blob now, isn't it? It all just happens from yeah, like a, no, big, yeah. a massive factory of loads of different studios. Yeah, so uh I oh, I like um this first one you've got here, Matthew. A debug console needs an
1: update for code to work. We have retail units, but we also had special debug consoles which would play like early preview and review code. This became less of a, of a thing as it went on. Like we never had a debug Xbox One, for example. I you know, I don't know if they have them for PlayStation or not. No, now, they, but, they don't. Um but we definitely had we had them for the Wii. they were green, they had like a special green cover on them. We had a Wii U debug as well, so yeah, you could basically play stuff, but it was also there was so much stuff that could go wrong with them because they had their own firmware updates that like retail consoles didn't have, and getting code in on time and then not being able to play it and because everyone needed an update or and this happened more in the three sixty era and. You know, I just remember being in the games cage a lot with various people on Games Master and PSM and Xbox World cursing that they had some amazing shit to play and their debug was fucking up and they couldn't play it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's not funny, but it seemed funny at the
0: time. <laughs> the PS3 debug update thing, I could ne- I I tried so many times to actually just sit down and do it. There was like, sometimes they send you it in the post and you put the disc in and you'd be like, oh, that works. But I think later on, they were like, oh, yeah, you have to put it on a memory stick, then plug it in, and then do it. Oh, and that gosh. never fucking worked. Like, I, I followed the instructions <laughs> to the letter, and it wouldn't fucking work. It wouldn't fucking update. And, like, yeah, getting a new get, getting new game in, and it being like, oh, yeah, you need this update to play it? And it's like, why? It's a, Why the <laughs> fuck? All it's going to do is add a fucking, like, SingStar option to the XMB. Why the fuck does, like, Army of Two need this to, like, play or whatever? And it's <laughs> like that kind of bullshit that was like the worst part of well that was one of the many bad things about using a ps3 but like um yeah that was some mad bullshit debug units like oh what a trip there were so many times i just couldn't figure out how to do it the xbox was the same too and it was just like why did these things just auto update when you connect to the internet what the hell why are we doing this manually oh a nightmare but yeah good one matthew um this next one's pretty funny as well
1: this is writer getting stuck on hard slash broken game this only happened a couple of times but you know you've you've got like a massive review in and the person playing it just can't get past like a boss I guess this is a sort of phenomenon that kind of began to kick in more with the kind of the arrival of like from software I just remember there being almost like support groups for Dark Souls people in the office because they were all desperately just trying to get through this thing or play enough to be able to review it and getting their asses handed to them because at this point no one really knew how to play those games properly or how they really worked, you know. The worst thing about getting stuck on a review game is it's not out. You can't go online and get the infinite number of seo guys you're just fucked and maybe at a push you might send a desperate email to a pr going help i'm stuck and hope that they might have an answer for you i actually had to do that not not too long ago when i got really stuck on the outer wilds i had to email the developers of that and i was just like i am so stuck on this game which was embarrassing i mean i don't think it would hold a mag up massively like i think there'd just be a point where you're like fuck it it has to happen, you know. Let's just do it. But I've definitely had moments where I've felt the panic set in of like, oh no, if this keeps happening, you know, this is going to throw everything off.
0: Always, always stressful. I would have found Returnal really hard to review, for example. Oh god. Yeah, but
1: yeah, but they gave. I think they gave that to people like.
0: They, they they previewed it as well. I think people had that for basically like a month. I think Sony's pretty good for this. Yeah, I think they've like been doing this for a while now. Just you get the code super early, you do previews, and then you just do reviews. Like definitely, it was kind of the yeah. same. So, um... so many games now are like
1: designed for everyone to finish them. Yeah, it's very very rare that you hit something which is actually like broken in some way. When I was doing reviewing, um, Lords of Shadow Two. That had a, a really infamously shit instant fail stealth section. It got to a point where it's like every time this happens, I'm taking one off the score until we get to the score of this game because I was so cross. Right. And I was just really, really worried I wasn't going to be able to do it. I did eventually do it, but there's so many people talk about like the goat bit in Lords of Shadow 2 because of that fucking
0: awful, awful moment in that game. It's funny It is funny how you're sort of like the world's biggest like Castlevania Lords of Shadow stan. Like, um, I mean, you know, apart from that <laughs> section there, you discuss that series surely more than any other games writer on earth, Matthew. That's like a big—it's a big deal for you, the Lords of Shadow series,
1: especially because I think Mercury Steam are meant to be like wrong so or, or <laughs> you know, they've had some shady practices come out um, in terms of uh, with Metroid Red, like crediting some of their staff and things. Mm. So they're not like they're not the coolest people to be a big to be a stan of. Yeah. Um, but um, you know, that's the stands a lot, I guess. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah exactly famous famously uh yeah. good uh yeah ele- ele- elegantly put so um the next one matthew you've got here sixth one is pr massively under delivers screens assets are always just such a roll of the dice with um making a magazine aren't they and sometimes you'll be like oh well there's only four screens but is there some like concept art we can use to bulk it out and like you hope that there is but um Yeah, it's sort of like you wonder, can I put one screenshot across an entire DPS? And then, like, we'll we'll just point to bits of it as annotations to make the. to disguise the fact that we don't have many assets. That was quite a familiar experience. yeah. Yeah.
1: The worst one for this was the worst when we did a Mass Effect Andromeda cover, trying to stretch, like, a couple of shots of, like, a man jumping with his fist in the air with, like, lots of lens flare behind him. Just really not very good or screens that look like they were just taken from the trailer which they probably were but the one positive with it it's not really positive because it affects someone else's negatively but it's when someone offers something you don't take it then you see someone else do the cover and you see and then you see them have a really hard time of it and you feel like yeah nice one i made a great decision <laughs> dodging that it's a bit like letting someone else drink from the um the Grails at the end of Last Crusade, <laughs> you see them become the skeleton, man. You're like, ha-ha, nice.
0: <laughs> <laughs> there you go. We learned a lot about you there as a person. But, um, <laughs> yeah, this this is definitely familiar. Or, like, sometimes it's like, you know, oh, I guess we'll use a couple of older screenshots to sort of bulk it out because the access... I remember, like, the one I worked on where we just didn't have anything exclusive, I don't think. Maybe we had, like, two screens that were new and, like, some new cover art was... I've mentioned it before, is like an Assassin's Creed 2 cover we did on X360 where I interviewed like the weapons designer or something like that. And it was, you know, you know, obviously like you know, the weapons are very good in Assassin's Creed 2, but they can't necessarily give you like the full scope of the game that like a creative director could in an interview, but it was what we had. So we made it work. And um, yeah, but I just remember it being like feeling like slightly hard work to try and get that into like a full cover feature and then the assets not being very good. And it's like, do we have pictures of the weapons? Nope. Okay then. <laughs> I'm glad to have interviewed this guy, but yeah, that's that can happen. Um so what's your next one here, Matthew? Uh you get terrible interview
1: questions back. I mean this is the words equivalent of the bad assets, mm. which is where an interview is at the key, is at the heart of like your access to a cover game or any coverage, and what you get back is just so bad that you don't want to use it. You also feel kind of compelled to use it because fundamentally it's the exclusive thing. Someone has helped you. Someone has gone to the lengths of getting you these terrible answers. Um, the worst time we ever had this was on the. Uh, there was an anniversary issue of O and M. Was it a hundred issues? Maybe. Or uh, yeah. Well, anyway, and and the kind of gimmick of the the gimmick of the issue was that we wanted everyone to like write their dream features. So it's basically whatever you want to do. Let's try and make it happen and use this anniversary it's the one where i did a big shoot akumi interview Mm -hmm. it's the one where i interviewed sing about um like them some of the people the the ex head of sing about them closing down and like the legacy of hotel dusk and um
0: they shot down your last window theory famously yeah
1: well yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) hey but listen that was still cool it was a cool a cool thing to happen um and I'm pretty sure one of the things Screbs wanted to do was Joe Scrabbles, uh was um a cameo bit for because wonderful 101 had either just come out or was coming out, so we sent over basically the same kind of questions that we did to shoot akumi um, to get cameo to answer, and he literally answered them with like yes and no answers, and so we had these like uh, this unusable interview, and I think we ended up putting it. <laughs> In a sidebar in the directory, here's this terrible interview from Gamma, yeah? <laughs> and that And that was it. It sort of ran as a, well, we got this back and it doesn't really belong anywhere else. So, um, yeah, cheers for this, I guess.
0: <laughs> yeah. I sort of like, uh, something I kind of always did when I was working on magazines was like, okay, we've got an interview with a Japanese developer. Uh, if you're not careful, if you'd only ask a few questions, you might get some really short answers. Um, in, you never know when you might just get like a one line answer back that's shorter than your question so the thing I would always do to offset this was like ask like 20 questions or 25 questions whereas right. where normally I might ask 10 or 15 you know what I mean so yeah, kind of going for that sort of like um, volume as- uh, sort of thing more than like you know uh, sort of like being totally certain I'm going to get good answers back it's just so different to being in person where you'll get so, so much better yeah. answers when it's going through like you know it's been screened by different marketing people or whatever. It's just yeah. bound to come out the other side, like not as good as it would be in person, you know?
1: Yeah. I just, it's just that we'd really like landed a couple of like winners with the other interviews with Japanese developers that month. Yeah. It was just a bit, a bit disappointing. I think even like the PR who sent them over was like, good luck with this. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Have you um, yeah. have you watched the uh, any of the Archipel stuff on Kamiya, by the way? I've watched the first part of it, yeah. It's good, isn't it? Uh, it's fantastic so far. Yeah, it's really good. But in that one, he imagine he gave one-word answers and that. He was like, tell me about your background. No. You know what I mean? <laughs>
1: like- well, that's that's, that's the, w- the weird thing. In person, he's a good interviewer. He's he's like, you know, he engages. And even if you've got, like, you're barking up the wrong tree, I think he, he gives you some good stuff. I don't know if we just caught him on an off day. But, yeah, that, that Archipel documentary is so good. The stuff where he talks about... Um, like joining up and then going to the recruitment fair and seeing how much better all the stands were for the companies he didn't join mm. and him suddenly feeling really bad about his choice <laughs> yeah yeah
0: yeah it was quite interesting how he bounced around between namco and capcom that was um yeah good yeah stuff. And i think the, the latest episode's about uh, beautiful joe so i've got to listen to that but um mm. sorry i yeah, watched that but yes so uh, it's funny because i was um trimming down my patrons a little bit recently because i had a few too many on the go but i uh, had to keep had to keep it for archipel i thought like how would i feel if this no longer existed i would think it sucks because this thing is this thing they make is so good so i will keep backing it and that's yeah that's yeah. kind of what um that sort of thing's for so yeah um okay this is a very matthew castle specific one for number eight.
1: Oh yeah this is nintendo announced a nintendo direct just before deadlines <laughs> which happened a lot of times because as you know nintendo directs kind of come out of nowhere and like the rumor mill you know often says, oh, I hear there's going to be one next week. I'm so glad I'm not making a magazine now because there's basically so many fibbers online, basically pushing bullshit about nintendo that i would constantly be wigging out i'm about to miss something but then that was less of a case people were a bit better behaved yeah so we used to have yeah a nintendo directs happening two days before deadline do we just carve out eight pages in the mag you know is it going to be a nintendo direct where they announce zelda which did happen once you know or is it going to be a nintendo direct where it's a rabbits game you know it could be one of the two always a huge gamble Uh, Some of the biggest rewrites we've ever done on mags have happened on O&M because of Nintendo Directs. Very, very stressful. My
0: most stressful time with this was... It's not for... Actually, Nintendo. It's not Nintendo-related. But, like, um, when the PS4 was revealed, Sony didn't say what the event was. They just said it was a PlayStation showcase or something like that. Um, We knew it was probably... Going to be the next gen consoles because they were flying like people out. I think we sent one person over for the entire company, but like, um, we knew that it was probably going to be a big deal. But I don't even think like the PRs knew it was PS4 until they got on the ground in New York at the event, so like it was kept ultra secret. But this Mm. meant that what happened was. we basically had to send the bag the day after the event so you know oh. so we had a bag that didn't have anything on it really uh, but oh my god like and then we but we and we hinged it all on the idea that like because it was about 20 pages of the mag we kept to one side as well and like we would have had to fill that if we didn't um if the ps4 wasn't real it happened luckily and we just stuck like the playstation logo on their playstation uh playstation 4 and then we just like pushed it off to press basically and then had to generate uh, 20 pages on every part of the PS4 from like in like about I think like 4 or 5 days something like absurd like that we delayed the bag as long as we could basically Um, so this next one Matthew you choose to make an incredibly complicated cover treatment so when mags have, like, um, you know, uh, gold foil on them and stuff like that, that's, like, a whole process and um, often requires a different... You kind of have to, like, layer the foil on top. It's a whole complicated oh. thing. It's not that interesting to talk about. But there's always the fear that the gold will be slightly off-centre, so when it arrives... That's, yeah. that's
1: that's more it. And, like, the more you do, the more complicated it comes. This only sticks out to me because we did the, the, um, the Rhythm Paradise issue, which had, like, flu- fluoro inks... It had gloss, it had a bit of matte on it as well, and it had a hole cut in the middle, so certain things lined up with an inside cover, Mm. probably the most complicated cover instruction I I saw while I was at Future, (laughs) and our poor art editor, Milf, was, like, juggling like 10 different files that if any of them were off like the whole thing would have been completely fucked right. and it just broke him it just i've never seen someone sort of more stressed out about their particular thing and it's something i could have no input on at all um but i just want people to, to know that that issue was super hard to make yeah um the,
0: the one, but worth it i remember we did like a a, a sort of like i think it was like World of Warships, or something, and there was like a hole cut in the cover, so it's kind of like a porthole. I don't think we had artwork to start with, like the artwork came right. in the end, so it was like, okay, we'll basically build a fake porthole that's looking onto the cover, and it's like, yeah, just hoping that that circle comes out all right in the printers, that it's not ripped when it gets <laughs> to the shelves and all that stuff.
1: And that someone doesn't stick a like a pamphlet in for a mobile phone company, which <laughs> then sits between the cover and the whole
0: <laughs> yeah, that can happen um yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. there's also things like um having to uh, well, we did a couple of issues and that went in like a double bag, and like it was like um two different bags joined together. And you had to, like, orient it, make sure that you oriented it so, like, the the magazine, you didn't tell the printers to face the magazine away from the shelf so people would see the back cover inside the back. I would, like, that's the sort of thing that keeps keep me up at night. Ultimately, one of the main reasons I had to just stop uh, working in print media was because I became so detail-obsessed that it just drove me mad to, like, think about this stuff night and day. And I was just like, I have to, like go on the internet now where i can change things if i make a mistake because that's as better yeah. i could just sleep at night that way so um that was kind of my career choice there but um yeah this next one uh matthew um this I, i've actually got <coughs> i wonder if this is too spicy and a bit too mean no this
1: i'm not naming names okay
0: that's fine yeah so what's uh what's the number 10, ten you got here you you
1: receive terrible writing from a freelancer and have to deal like have to deal with like do we fix it? I say freelancer. This isn't me casting shade on freelancers, but like it was quite rare that our in-house writers like they wouldn't be there if they were that violently shitting the bed. But occasionally you would try someone new, and it would be like just so wrong that you'd have to like. Do we even use it? Do we fix it? Is the time fixing it? Or is the time getting them to rewrite it even worth it? There's such a thing in freelance as kill fee. Just sort of part ways and agree that it's just not going to happen. This happened like
0: literally once
1: in 13 years for
0: me. You do live in fear. You know, obviously editors have a duty to seek out new voices and, you know, diversify the freelancers they're using. That's, you know, really important. Something I, you know, put some effort into solving on Tech Radar uh, for sure. But like, um y there was there's always a risk yeah like with a first time freelancer, they might not get the style or they might have to grow into it or something like that. I've had some really good experiences with freelancers where um I've told them uh, just one thing to fix their writing and then it, it comes back and like every piece from then is better because you've had that honest moment with them. that can be really, really mm. good never had a kill fee moment, so not too spicy <laughs> no, no, it's fine, let's move on though um, so <laughs> Yes, uh, this is one of mine. So cover art gets pulled or changes to art made after deadline. So uh, this happened once with one game. I won't say what it was, but like um, basically the artists kept changing the cover, kept adding detail to it. The artwork wasn't amazing. They kept tweaking it. And it was kind of like the longer you wait, the better the art would be. And they'd be like, well, how long can you wait to get this piece of artwork? And I was there thinking, "Right, well, I really want this out of my life now. So at a certain point, and eventually it got to the point where we sent the mag and they were like, oh, we've got a new version of the artwork. And it was like, well, I can't do anything, you know. And like, um, yeah, that was, um, that's one of the headaches you might have to deal with is sometimes the art process can be incremental to get to, to the point where it's finished. Sometimes you get like a pencil sketch of what the artwork could be or like a really rough early render. And you could use that for, like, planning purposes, but you could never use it for the final artwork. So, uh, that was just what I wanted to mention, Matthew. That's, like, one fucking massive headache I remember from being on PC. This has turned
1: into just confession.
0: <laughs> it is a little bit, isn't it? I was hoping it would be, like, informative, but it might just be therapy. I don't know. Like,
1: Absolve me of my sins.
0: <laughs> I paid a kill fee once. <laughs> okay, so this is one of mine. Um, nothing is happening because it's January. So... <laughs> in a wider sense the games industry sort of shuts down at christmas and then kind of gets started again in like late january or like early february Mm -hmm. um but every pr in january would tell you the same thing basically which is uh yeah um we're we're yet to have a conference about what we're doing this year and then when we (laughs) do we'll be able to talk about covers and stuff and it was like oh, shit, what the fuck am I going (laughs) to do? That happened a couple of years. I feel like it's less of a thing now because games release all year round. Yeah, right. And, like, that wasn't the case in, like, the late noughties and, you know, even, like, the last decade. Not as much, but, you know... Now you've got the Game Awards in December and you've got,
2: Mm.
0: you know, Elden Ring coming out. It was meant to come out in January or whatever. Like, there's loads of stuff that's releasing early next year, so it's changed a bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you remember that, Matthew? January, just fucking nothing happened. Yeah, always a nightmare
1: because we'd often have done, because of our next point, we'll often have done a preview issue already at the end of the year. So you feel like, well, you could just use January to take stock and do another... And often we did, I think often we ended up doing like a preview issue, you know, of X year and then maybe like a themed issue in January to kind of make it work. Mm. Like this is going to be the year of the year Nintendo fights back or the year of Mario or the year of whatever. That was often a cover you'd have to get creative
0: with. Yeah, probably the boldest thing I did with the cover was uh, I think it was like I think this was a January issue, something like that. We had Prey on the cover. And I went with Meet the New Bioshock as the cover line, which was quite mm. quite bold. I didn't normally do that. I always did the game title. But I just thought, let's kind of roll the dice i don't know how excited the wider populace is about prey obviously on team we were very excited about it because it's kind mm. of immersive simi and you know looked amazing and arcane of course games journalists fucking love arcane as we all know anyone who's on twitter will fucking know that so you know that's that's a thing <laughs> um, but yeah like that's that was a thing where I was like well how can i boldly package this you know um this game that like maybe isn't as easy a sell as like you know sticking a total war game on the cover you know mm. so yeah i
1: I'd have gone for Move Over Bioshock.
0: <laughs> wow, yeah. Well, that's a real surprise, uh, Matthew. You would have tried to get Uncharted in there somewhere? Um, move Over Move Over Bioshock. It's Uncharted in space. <laughs> Gold, there you go. Um, so, yes, this uh, next one then, Matthew. Three-week or two-and-a-half-week issues. So, yeah, this was always the killer, wasn't it? This was like... I don't think I ever had, like, a full two weeks off at Christmas because it was never possible. It was, like, one week because if you had two weeks off, you were coming back to pure carnage, basically. Um, (laughs) What's your memory of these?
1: Yeah, this is the answer to the question of, why do you do 13 issues a year? And it's like, well, because apparently we want to make our staff make a really crap short issue, which is worse than the others because they have to do it in half the time. Actually, not worse than the others. Not always, sometimes you do some of your more creative thinking. Everyone had their short issue, they tended to be the last issue in the year, sometimes it might fall earlier if you were lucky... I had a similar feeling about this that I used to have when we were on exams where you get to the end of the year and then some people are going to have an exam before you and you think, uh uh-huh, you have to do a horrible exam and I don't. But then you're like, well, I've still got my horrible exams to come, which is very much the feeling of <laughs> the short issue. You'd sort of laugh at people when they had it and then envy them once they were done. Often the key to this was to just do, make it a roundup issue the next year in review. Or the last year in review, something which was just not dependent on anything else happening, because that's really what a short issue means. You just you lose all wiggle room for bullshit. It just has to happen as you plan it, and so you design it, it that it doesn't rely on anyone to
0: happen basically. There was that um issue of Edge that they did last year in lockdown which was like the 100 relaxing games or something like that. Yeah, yeah. An entire mag was just that like one feature basically and yeah. I really loved it and I thought I wish I'd done this sort of thing on my one of my 3 week issues, do you know what I mean, where it's like there's yeah. no news but it's like a proper special issue. We'll talk about some cool shit but it will be like one thing throughout that's reasonably easy to produce on team and like we're not breaking our backs to just try and get like a preview section done when there's nothing going on you know what i mean like um, mm. yeah yeah but uh yeah certainly some um Uh, some sort of like very tired nights there they were always like very exhausting cold nights in Bath for sure so
1: um,
0: number 14 is one of yours it's quite funny this isn't like the zaniest thing you're ever going to
1: hear but like move all the magazines around the building and like shift offices and so you have to do the mag But you also have to pack up like everything you've ever owned. In some magazines' cases, they've got like a backlog of like 25 years worth of mags. So we've got all the N64s, the NGCs, all that. So it's like moving house at work while you're trying to also build like a new house. (laughs) Like, that's a terrible analogy.
0: Yeah, the the, uh, future office is really, really nice these days. They renovated it. But like, um, I think it's 2014, we moved to a different floor. And, like, the cycling mags had been there. And there was just, like, a muddy tire track on the floor. Like, a... (laughs) throughout the kind of area. I was like... And like oil on the floor. <laughs> I was like, was some was some motherfucker cycling on this floor <laughs> for the office? <laughs> like, that was kind of... That was a very vivid memory. I was like, why are there tyre tracks next to my desk? Like... Yeah. Yeah. So that... But then you were also like, it's that time where you feel like you should, uh, like, Marie
1: Kondo all your stuff and just chuck out all the shit you don't need. But you end up bringing all the, the, the mad shit. You know, you end up bringing the the sort of the broken saints road dildo bat, <laughs> and you're like why have we still got this why did this make the trip with us yeah this should be
0: a skip but it's not um you just hoard- <laughs> it should have been the skip the second it arrived you hoarding fucking borderlands top trumps into a <laughs> right <laughs> into a sack you know <laughs> yeah uh holding on to those for the inevitable day that they become very valuable well one day i'm telling you yeah that was, yeah... That's the university fund. <laughs> but there's no money tire tracks in Keyhouse now. It's very clean. Very nice. <laughs> very nice. So, um, yes. Uh, so, the last one, Matthew. E3 deadline weeks. Holy shit. Doing E3 issues. Usually, the deadline, for some reason, would fall on, like, the first day of E3. Or slightly before E3. Not, like, the end of the week. Like, in the middle of the week. So, functionally you know, you wouldn't be able to get all the stuff you got from E3 into one issue, but you tried to get as much of it in as possible. I mean, oh, whether you're on the ground at E3 or, like, at home editing it, it's just really tough, right? When I became an editor,
1: like, I started doing, yeah, going to E3s, where it felt like I could be more of a writer and, like, lump a lot of it on DepEds and things.
0: A little bit, like, Phil was so dependable that I could just, like, go off and he'd, he'd sort sort it out. And there was one year where... He went and I stayed, so it was a bit fairer, you know?
1: I do remember sitting in, like, an L.A. hotel. Again, a bit like the Gamescom hotel. (laughs) Like, I I even remember what I was checking. I was, like, checking out pages of a Sherlock Holmes game review (laughs) while there was, like... I could look out the window and there was, like, a swimming pool with all these, like, beautiful L.A. people dancing around it and thinking, like, what is this? This isn't right. (laughs) If they knew that I was up here... Like checking for typos in a Sherlock Holmes review, this whole venue would lose all cred and everyone would just have to evacuate. <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. Does... They're like, wait a second. There is not just a dweeb here. <laughs> <laughs> there is such a mega dweeb. The,
0: the King of Dweebs is That we is have here. to demolish this hotel. <laughs> the King of Dweebs is here. Everyone get the fuck out now. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is funny. Thing is, though. It's funny how all these things that seemed traumatizing at the time now seem quite privileged and like I really miss going to E3 like it was so mm. it was so good now and now, now I'm like now it just hasn't happened for a few years and the the act of covering games from home is just so not the same thing like that that whole travel aspect is gone it's just like such a bummer because it was really it was actually really cool yeah. you know a cool wrinkle in the job it's
1: it, it was it was always really hard work, but I also I never want to be one of those people who's like, oh, fuck, I have to go all over the world to do this job. You know, it, it's just, you know, it's it's super lucky. It, you know, it's great, even when it's rough.
0: So, yeah. All, all the best, like, are kind of like, you know, big moments I had were at E3 on the ground, you know, like interviewing people like Phil Spencer or Tetsuya Nomura and being like, this is really fucking cool that this is happening. Yeah. Um, mm you know uh yeah so pff, yeah i miss e3 as well but there were definitely some comically like hard ones like um i think i wrote a hitman feature in about 4 hours a cover feature um i think like i've been briefed that the game was being revealed but we got artwork like the day the game was revealed at e3 and then it went to press the next day and i had to write the cover feature by the next day and it was just like comically fast turnaround and right. I had gotten drunk at the PC Gamer show, PC Gaming show, um, <laughs> uh, sort of like after party because what? I like had a bunch of stuff there and I was quite excited that we'd done an E3 show. So I thought, I'll just get drunk. And then, yeah, I think like basically went home and wrote this feature till 4am and then sent it into the office. And... uh that was, like, a thing I could do. And, you know, I was, like, I think it was, it was in my late 20s at the time. I don't think I could do that now. I'm just so tired all the time. Like, I don't know how I did it at the time. But you kind of right, run on adrenaline right. when you're on the ground there, you know. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. It's good, though. Good, though. Working on magazines, kind of fun, wasn't it? Do you ever think, like... No, oh, it was fun. Do you ever think, like, just if we were in the kind of landscape of, like, like it was in the early noughties now, I might still be working in print. Do you know what I mean? Like, it was just... Yeah. Yeah just like where there's a big spread of mags and you can find the one that sort of fits your sort of tone and what you're interested in you know it's good yeah, yeah good times i have loads of respect though for the people who um, make magazines i always say that in these episodes just in case uh it ever sounds like i'm whinging i think like you know making a magazine there are so many good magazines still around and um yeah i really uh i really love reading edge every month for example and so um am pleased to uh pleased to see them keep going Anything else to add here, Matthew, or should we
1: wrap up? We've talked enough magazines to fill a, an entire year of Game
0: pie. Uh, Yeah, exactly. Some big uh, big gaming gammon's energy, as that bloke on that <laughs> forum said Oh
1: yeah, that guy's going to hate this episode. Well, that's why,
0: right, because it's, it's, it's labelled as such, so I, I assume he'll just skip it and listen to fucking, <laughs> yeah. I don't know, fucking best Sherlock Holmes games or Frogwares games, whatever we do next, <laughs> next week. Um, yeah, so uh, yes, thank you very much for listening to this very waffly and odd 50th episode. I hope you've enjoyed it. So, i reckon we've got like one more mag style feat, uh, style episode left to do in us matthew like um in terms of like us talking about mag stuff we know what that is that's the episode we were going to do this week so people can wait for that one it should be fun otherwise year two who knows it's going to be um it's going to be good fun on the game pie podcast so matthew where can people find you on social media
1: i am at mr basil underscore pesto i'm samuel w roberts thanks for
0: listening we'll be back next week see you soon